Welcome to episode 80 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on, boy, it is May 1st, May 1st, 2018. Happy May Day, everybody. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How are you living, Corey? Brad, we are almost going to do something unprecedented on the show this week. Do you know what that thing is? Uh, is it appropriate to talk about on the air? Yes. Then I have no idea. Okay. I say almost because it's not quite coming true, but we, the games that we're talking about, you and I have both played almost all of our rostered games this week, which is very unusual for us. Oh, that is fucked up. That is fucked up. <laughs> that almost never happens. What happened this week? That's weird. I know. It's like we planned it or something. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because that was kind of our original goal when we first started talking about launching the show. I mean, we originally were talking about a tight 45 minutes, lols, and <laughs> that we were both going to, like, make an effort to play the same games and lols. Like, none of that <laughs> stuff came true. I think we ended up with a pretty good show, but it was nothing at all like we had originally envisioned. Um, but this week, we are kind of making that dream happen a little bit. There's like a couple of brief exceptions, but other than that, like we can both talk about the same games for almost the whole show. Well, you folks are in for a treat today. Um, I think we've got a good lineup of games. We got some real good banter in the can that we just recorded, so make sure that you uh, catch that after the closing music. Um, but I think we should probably get right to it. I do have a couple of announcements first, if you don't mind me getting to those, Corey. No, go for it. Um, first off, I don't know if you saw me talk about this on Twitter or not, but my son, my eight-year-old son that lives with me, uh, who is soon going to be nine, his birthday's coming up on Friday, uh, he, we have like one extra iPhone. It was my oldest son's iPhone, and then he upgraded, and instead of us trading it in for like $5 credit, I'm like, ah, fuck it, we'll just keep it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with it. Maybe we will do something with it. And actually what ended up happening was that we left it plugged in and we uh, mounted it right next to our door so that if there's ever like a 911 emergency, um, we don't have a home line. Like nobody I know ever has like a landline anymore, but like we left it right there by the by the door. So if there's anything that ever happens and we just for some reason don't have our phones with us or if my son needs to call for an emergency, there's always like a phone that's charged and nearby handy for like a 911 emergency. So we just kind of held on to it and used it for that. We've never had to call 911, but it's there. So he has been really itching to want to get a phone, but he's like eight. And we're like, no, that's too young. We don't need a phone for you. And that's an extra cost. And you can just, no, just forget about it. But you can play with this other phone we have here. So he's been like making movies and, you know, texting us on the Wi-Fi because it doesn't cost anything. And he figured out that if he is on the Wi-Fi, he can download episodes of our podcast. Oh, so, no. Oh, no. I know. I know, right? So he was in the bedroom downloading random episodes of our podcast. And I walked by the door and I thought I heard myself. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? What is it? Am I in that room? But I'm out here. What's going on? Ah. So I opened the door. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh. All right, well, I guess I can't object to that because, I mean, you know, I stand by the stuff that I do. So he listened to it. I went off about my business. He listened to it for a while. And he came back. He's like, Dad, I listened to your podcast. I'm like, yeah, how was it? Uh, it's not really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm like, yeah, it's pretty fucking sad, isn't it, son? I'm sorry. We'll have to do better for you. Well, so, you know, jokes jokes on everybody because I've actually had someone say this to me before that they uh, that I'm not going to name names, but that somebody has told me that they don't think that I'm very funny. And I'm like, well, jokes on you all because we don't advertise a show as like a comedy show or like, I mean, of course, it's nice to make people laugh. It's nice to be lighthearted, but like we don't really approach the show as like a ha ha tee hee. We're going to be funny. So like if people are expecting us to just be like cracking jokes and being comedians 100% of the time, like they are sadly mistaken. Yeah, I don't think we've ever really positioned ourselves as like a kickback and laugh along with us because I think that we do have laughs. I mean, I think you're funny. I think I, I definitely know I'm funny. And it's like. <laughs> You know, but we don't said, I mean, we don't like write jokes. We don't like have bits or skits or anything like that. I mean, we just kind of talk. And I think that maybe the banter sections end up being a little funnier because we just have these rando stories. But yeah, we're not really like advertised as a comedy show. I mean, it's like a games talk show. So plus he's eight. What does he know? He's eight. He doesn't appreciate our humor. (laughs) Anyway, I thought it was hilarious that he listened and he said it was good. It just wasn't funny. So I guess that was kind of a plus and a minus. I can live with that. Yeah, that's fine. He thought it was okay. So anyway. (laughs) Anyway, before we do get to the games chat, uh, I did want to make just one quick announcement uh, relating to our home site, GameCritics.com. I know that you saw my tweets and emails about this, Corey, uh, but for people who don't follow us on Twitter, uh, I did want to let people know that we have been advocates for inclusion and accessibility in game reviews for a long time, like several years, many years. And um, I mean, I don't want to like toot our own horn, but I think that Game Critics actually leads the internet in providing information for people who need accessibility uh, info in their reviews. Um, I know that there are a couple of the sites that do that, that are um, fairly specific, but I'm talking about like just in general, general games websites. I, I think that we probably provide more accessibility info than anybody else on the net. Um, if I'm mistaken, please let me know because I would love to help spread the word of sites that do have that info. But from just me looking around and checking out the usual sites and looking at different reviews, it seems like Game Critics is number one. Um, and I don't say that to boast or anything. I just, I just seems like a fact. So if that's not right, please let me know. But I'm going to run with that for now. So we have been including information for deaf and hard of hearing players for many, many years. Uh, we recently started including information for people who are colorblind. And we also started including information for uh, people who need controller modifications so we would make note if a controller scheme is able to be remapped or not Um, so we've been having all that stuff uh in addition to our usual critic disclaimers and in addition to our usual parental information so we actually have quite a bit of info on these uh reviews at the end of every review but last night i was on twitter as i usually am and uh, a deaf uh, friend of mine said hey man i really dig that you guys have this information about subtitles But the problem is that so many games these days have subtitles which are too tiny to read and they're really ineffectual. And for me, being a deaf gamer, I want to know what's actually really accessible to me. He's like, you know, he's like, you're doing a good job, but like, I I want to see what it looks like for myself so I can judge before I spend the money. Would you mind posting screenshots of what the subtitles actually look like? And I'm like, you know, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's a good idea. I have often myself had the same problem where i think subtitles are too small to be effective so although we may like say there are subtitles and that may be true they may not be a good fit for everybody so i thought i'm like you know yes yes i'm gonna do that yes as the editor of the site i'm gonna commit to that right now we're gonna we're gonna make this happen for all of our uh, deaf and hard of hearing people and all the people who just use subtitles anyway i use subtitles all the time on my games do you turn subs on in your games Corey? I always use subtitles in video games, but I am not one of those weirdos who uses subtitles when they watch TV. 
I am one of those weirdos. I have subtitles on all the time, all the time Aww. for everything. I need subtitles on all the time. Not only because sometimes I miss what people say, but also because it just adds greater clarification. And also it really teaches people to read. And so my son is an excellent reader and we have never really had to sit down and teach him phonics or anything like that. He has picked it up just from video games and from captioning on TV. And he is an awesome reader. So I can attest uh, that was a great way that I learned how to read. It was a great way for him to learn how to read. So I love um, I love subtitles everywhere. And if I'm watching TV with no subs, it feels weird and fucked up to me. I need to have the subtitles on because that is where I'm most comfortable. But I respect people who don't. That's It's not a judgment at all. Everybody does what everybody is wants to do. That's fine. But anyway, so I said, yes, Game Critics will commit to posting one extra screenshot per review that is specifically meant to show the subtitles. And I announced that to Twitter last night. We had immediate and overwhelming response. Tons of people were like, yes, this is an awesome idea. Yes, it sounds great. We really want to use this. We want to see this. Thank you for doing this. I mean, it was just like a tidal wave of positivity, which was great after last week's God of War bullshit. So I was really nice to get some nice messages for once. <laughs> um, and then as soon as I posted that, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, uh, Ian Hamilton. Do you know Ian Hamilton on Twitter, Corey? I don't know who that is. He is, uh, he's been around. He talks about um, uh, uh, accommodations for games, accessibility in games. He is like one of the hardcore dudes who's been doing it for a long time. Uh, huge advocate for accessibility in games. Uh, great guy. I've talked to him a few times, or more than a few times. Uh, and he's like, hey, man, so what about uh, posting pictures of controller setups for people who might need some kind of accommodation? And I'm like, ah, that's right. He talked to me about it a couple years ago. And for whatever reason, I dropped the ball on that. So I, I own that. That is my fault. We talked about it. I thought it was a good idea a couple years ago. And for whatever reason, we didn't implement it. So I apologize for that. But now that he reminded me, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I, you're, you're right. We need to do that. So immediately after I announced that we're going to be doing subtitle screenshots, we are also going to be doing controller map screenshots uh, where they are applicable. Some games don't have them. Some games do. But if there is one, we will be posting those as well. So I just want to let everybody know Game Critics is 1,000% all in on accessibility and inclusivity. If you are a person who cares about accessibility options in games, whether you like subtitles or colorblind information or remaps or anything like that, we are doing our best to provide all of that for you. You will start to see those in our reviews beginning this week. Um, we cannot go back and do all of our reviews retroactively because we have like over 7,000 reviews in the archive. That is a lot of reviews. We all have day jobs. We all have like lives and families. I don't think anybody has the time to go back and do that because uh, it's a, a monumental amount of work. So I apologize for that. But from this point forward, all reviews that we publish will have as much of that info as possible as pertains to each particular game. So that is my commitment to everyone listening. That is my commitment to the uh, disabled gamer community. Anybody who needs this kind of stuff, I want to be here for you and support you guys. And everybody at Game Critics, all the staff have been 1,000% supportive. Everybody's been on board despite the fact that this is going to be a couple extra steps and a little bit extra work for everybody, but we're happy to do it. And we are putting our money where our mouth is. So we are all about it. And you can start to see that stuff this week. No delay. We are getting on top of it. We are what do you think, putting, putting our money where our mouth is, despite there being no money in it for anybody. Exactly. So we are putting our time where our mouth is because this is actually um, a fairly significant time um, investment because not only do the reviewers have to do extra screenshots get those uploaded, get those size, get those to me. Then I have to like post those. I mean, it seems like no big deal, but when you're doing all of the editing and doing all the posting, it actually ends up being quite a bit of deal. I mean, I, I, nobody gets paid at Game Critics. I think every night I probably put in at least two or three hours of my own time every night at Game Critics just to do Game Critics stuff. 
between emails, between PR, between assigning games, between posting reviews, editing reviews, formatting reviews, literally, literally every night, two, three hours. So that's fine. That's what we're here for. It's what we love to do. I'm happy to do it. And if we can change the world in any way, <laughs> even if it's just this tiny little way, like if, if somebody who needs special controller options comes to our website and sees that that information is there for them and that made their life like that one iota better, then I'm happy to do it. So that's what we're all about. That is what we're going to be doing. And I would invite everybody listening to this podcast, please come check it out starting this week and let us know what you think. Agreed. All right. Now that that is out of the way, let's talk about the games. Um, I've talked for like a billion years. I'm going to let you lead on this one, Corey, if that's okay. Oh, sure. I feel a little unprepared, but we can do oh, it. Sh- okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to spring that on you. I'm just like, oh, my God, I need a drink of water. I'm like, throat's dry right now. <laughs> um, we are going to be first talking about one of the first ones that we both played, uh, Killing Time at Lightspeed, which is on iOS. I heard about this game a while ago. And I saw it pop up in the app store and I'm like, oh, 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 it's that one game. And I was thinking about games that you and I could both play. It seems like maybe iOS is something that we could both easily access. And usually they're pretty cheap, so it's not a huge investment. So I convinced you to play this. You played a little bit. I played a little bit. Let's talk about it. Corey, would you mind telling us what Killing Time at Lightspeed is all about? I would not mind at all. So Killing Time at Lightspeed is an iOS game where it takes place in the future. I think it's in like the 2040s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it is a time where humans, like space travel is, the game prefaces itself as like, it's in the future. Um, Space travel is a pretty common thing now. Like people are kind of living among the stars. They're out in uh, spaceships. They're exploring other planets and, you know, Mars and beyond and everything. And the game kind of opens with a point about how, like, even though we are, you know, out among the stars and up in the universe, um, like, social media and phones have are, are still taking a very large precedence in people's lives for various reasons. So we spend a lot of time looking down at our phones, despite being, like, able to be up in space. And so the thing about this game is it, um, it kind of makes uh, a deal about how whenever you're space traveling, um, somehow like it got invented or whatnot in this game's fiction that when you're space traveling, you're actually like moving like ahead in time, like relative to earth, but it doesn't feel like you're moving ahead in time. Like you're not like asleep in some cryo capsule or like in stasis, you're like moving about the space uh, ship or station or whatever, but you're like, it's time is accelerating faster than it should be based on uh, relative to earth. And the whole game, or at least as much as I can tell, because I only, full disclosure, I only played this for about a half an hour, so I'm not like, I didn't play it beginning to end. I don't know if there's an ending, but the game uh, UI on your phone looks like a phone, and it's kind of like a social media site. You have some tabs at the top. You have like your, it's kind of like a fake Twitter, like a version of Twitter. You have like your Twitter feed. You have like a kind of like a news, like an RSS feed that has news articles in it. And you have like an alerts, like an inbox feed, like a notifications feed, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. And you kind of tab back and forth between them. But the interesting thing is that there's a finite amount of posts in your social media feed and in the news feed. And if you have notifications, you have some. If you don't, you don't. And whenever you get to the bottom of your timeline for like the kind of faux Twitter thing, you refresh the page. And whenever you refresh the timeline, because you're believed to be currently aboard a spaceship that's kind of traveling at a faster rate of time relative to Earth, 
every time you refresh the timeline, it instead of it being like who posted new tweets in the past hour, like a very long uh, span of time seems to have passed between refreshing your timeline because that much time passed on Earth and that's what's getting to your phone. So like you read through the tweets, you refresh them, and then it doesn't, I don't think the game makes clear how long it's been, but it might be like weeks or months or years between refreshing the feed. So it's very interesting. And whenever you go to the news articles, kind of the same thing happens. Like the news articles are all, you know, maybe it refreshed like two years or something. So all the news articles are different. And one common theme among the tweets and among the news articles is this device that's been made that is basically kind of like um, I, they. I don't know if they if they actually one hundred percent clarify what it is, but it's kind of like re- from the gist I get, it's like replacing your eyeball with kind of like a computer part. Like it's almost like Google Glass, but like you're just like injecting it around your eye or like replacing your eyeball or something. So at the beginning, you know, the public opinion is kind of like, or people in your timeline are kind of like, "Wow, this is really weird. Like it's expensive." Um, it's strange. Like, why would people want this like eyeball injection thing? And then when you refresh your timeline, like people come around to it more and suddenly like, you know, they're a little bit cheaper. They've been out on the market for a little bit longer. And like some of your friends actually get them and they kind of are discussing it in the timeline. And some people are like really scared of them. And so the game kind of serves as like a commentary on like, um, kind of like a commentary on social media, a commentary on technology, a commentary on a little bit on like capitalism and companies that are like Apple that kind of like make these devices over and over again that are kind of like pushing the boundaries of what um, like is acceptable technology for humans to use on a day to day basis. And there's some political stuff in it because like, I guess like whatever Congress exists in US at the time or on Earth at the time passes this law that like lets I guess police like scan your fake eye thing and like, like see all of your memories and stuff in it. And it's like this weird, like, um, you know, where they can like see all your memories and see like what you've recorded with it and everything. So it's kind of like a breach of privacy and that kind of stuff. Um, I'll Brad, I'll let you talk in a second. Cause I don't know if you played more than me, but I, I did not make, I don't know if there's an end to the game. I did not make it to the end of the game. Um, I just scrolled through the timeline. I refreshed, my timeline probably about six or seven times and read through it, read through about uh, six or seven pages worth of news articles. And I didn't read all the articles. Like some of them, you can actually read the articles and some of them um, you can just choose to look at the headlines if you want, or some of them you can't even open them because the articles have been outdated by the time you refresh your news timeline. Um, But I made it about 30 minutes in, maybe about six or seven timeline refreshes. And then I stopped and, is there anything you want to clarify or that I messed up or talk about your experiences with it? No, I mean, you're good. If you want to keep going, keep going, or I can jump in. If you got more, go for it. Uh, not yet. Why don't you uh, you give me your takes, and then we'll kind of discuss what we think about it. Okay, so you did a good summation. Yeah, and I got to say, this game is not exactly what I expected because I knew that it was about a person refreshing their timeline as they were traveling away from Earth, and so... You know, it was intriguing to me that you would think about, oh, you want to stay in touch with your friends. But every time you refresh Twitter, it's like two years later. So, I mean, that would be like a really bizarre thing. And I thought it was a very interesting premise. And I think it is, in practice, very interesting. Uh, I think the thing that I wasn't prepared for, though, was like, that's all it is. Like, I, I guess I thought there would be more of like a game to it. So it's not really like a game, per se, as it's just kind of like a thought experiment or kind of like a an experiential sort of a thing. Because all you can really do is like 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 tweets or you can 
reply to tweets and you can read the news story. So you're not really like going anywhere. You're not doing anything. There's nothing for you to do on the ship. I mean, you're kind of like yourself role playing as if you were this person refreshing your space Twitter and just kind of seeing what that would be like. <laughs> space Twitter. Yeah. And as someone who uses Twitter all the time, I think it was really effective for me. Uh, but I got to say, as interesting as it was, it was difficult for me to sit down and just read for that long because I guess I was expecting some gameplay to go along with it, which is not there, which is fine. But I found that the most effective thing for me to do was to pretend like I was actually on the ship and refresh it once a day so that that way it would feel like more time was elapsing for me as a person. And I wouldn't get bored from actually like reading the tweets over and over and over and over and over because you could just sit there and refresh and refresh and refresh. And I assume that eventually the game comes to an end. I mean, they didn't write an infinite amount of text there. So at some point the game is going to end and I don't know if there is going to be an end of the story or if it just stops or who knows what. But I found it was more effective and less boring if I only read my feed once a day. So like I would get up. I mean, I think I read maybe the first three or four refreshes in a row. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm getting kind of bored. And I think this is interesting and I like it, but I'm, I, just, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to read anymore. So I stopped. And I feel like it's way more effective to do just one thing a day. So I haven't finished the game. I've only been doing one refresh a day. And it feels much more real and much more um, impactful to kind of pretend in my mind that, like, I'm still on the ship and I'm traveling. And, you know, our our data relay can only connect with Earth once every 24 hours or something like that. (laughs) Uh, And so that, I think, is a better way to do it. So I would recommend to anybody listening, try to just do that. Just You know, maybe do, like, the first one or two refreshes right off the bat so you get a feel for it. And if you're into it, space them out. Just do like one a day or like two a day, like one in the morning and one at night. Don't do them too close together because then it just feels like you're just reading a bunch of text and you're kind of missing out on that feeling of time like elapsing, which I think is a really crucial part of this experience. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's something that I had not thought about because I'm so used to, you know, sitting down with a game, especially with iOS games because a lot of them are short and just like sitting down and kind of playing them in one sitting or kind of having a feel for the game's kind of concrete beginning, middle, and end. But with this game, um, like, you don't really know how far you're progressing. Like, you don't really know if there's, like, a finite end or really, like, what the point of the game is at all, which sounds sad. I, I don't mean that to sound bad, but it's kind of like the game is... Like, the game has ideas, but there's no, like, central conflict, and there's no... There doesn't seem to be, like, a common, like, start and finish... Right. Um, I mean, I mean, just like imagine Twitter, like there's no you don't read Twitter and you get to the end of Twitter. Like it just goes on forever. Like it's literally just like that. You're just (laughs) you're just checking in. So just think of it as like I'm just checking in to get a snapshot of what my friends are doing like once every two years. And like there's you know, like like you said, there's no conflict. There's no no bad guy to defeat or anything. You're just like, what's going on on Earth? Like you feel like you're totally out of the loop. Your friends are having their lives and you're not really a part of that. And like they're having relationships and they got new jobs and things are happening for them. And you're still like on this ship trying to get to where you're going. So you're just kind of like feeling like kind of left out and observing things from the outside. So it's like, yeah, like you don't know how far things are going to go or where you're at, but just you're just like, you know, Twitter once every two years, like that would be the same thing. Yeah. uh, I mean, that's, that's definitely, that's good advice. Um, The only thing that I like kind of, uh, and I think I've maybe mentioned this with other sci-fi games before, but like, Something that I dislike about this game is that it's kind of one of those games that I feel like it it thinks it has a really interesting, like, futuristic sci-fi premise with this idea of, like, 
people getting these like eye implant things and then like the government like spying on them and you know people not being sure about the technology and whether it's good or whether it's not and sometimes I get annoyed whenever games sort of like think that they have really interesting like futuristic thought-provoking sci-fi themes but really it's like stuff that's happening right now in the United States. Like, obviously, we don't have, like, eye implants in the United States right now, but, like, this game is basically doing, like, a parallel to, like, an iPhone or, you know, any smartphone or computers or something where it's like, okay, we have this new technology, it's expensive, not a lot of people have it, and then it gets more accessible over time, and then we learn that maybe, like, I don't know, the FBI is looking through our computer cameras all the time and can watch us all the time and knows our location all the time. So it's kind of like... I mean, on one hand, I'm like, I get it. But on the other hand, I'm like, if you think you're making a game that has these really interesting, like, futuristic sci-fi themes, but really it's stuff that's, like, currently happening in the United States, like, I just don't feel like that's worthy of my applause. Yeah, I get what you're saying. At the same time, I I kind of felt it was just a way for them to kind of comment on about current society, which I guess is really true of a lot of sci-fi. Like, you know, you put aliens and spaceships and things, but really... What you're talking about is a way to examine what's going on in current events and a different perspective with which to view your life. So I think your parallel about the iPhone and stuff is really true. I mean, I think a lot of people are having a lot of privacy concerns these days. The other thing that I thought was interesting was just like the, the personal aspect of it, where you're seeing these people have relationships. One thing that comes up in the timeline, I don't know if you're far enough to have seen it yet or not, but uh, these like synthetic robots start appearing. Have you seen it? any talk about that yet? I saw that um, one of the women that you're friends with, like, likes one of them, if you will. Yeah. So, like, I don't want to give too much away, but in the game, like, they somebody invents, like, a synthetic robot, and it starts out being really dumb and awkward and people make fun of it. But then as the technology improves and as you keep checking in over time, like, every time you check in, it's like, oh, the robot's more advanced. It's actually pretty decent now. And, like, the next time it's like, oh, I think I love my robot. And the next time it's like, oh, robots have rights. And it's like... So like kind of looking at that from uh, a relationship perspective was kind of interesting. And just seeing how these friends of yours, like one of them is really depressed. And so you kind of see what she's doing and how these other guys like starting his business and you're kind of following him along. So it was kind of neat. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how this is all going to wrap up. But for me to check in once a day and spend 10 minutes on it per day, I think it's pretty interesting and it's kept my attention so far. I did, like I said, I did feel like I was burning out on it when I was trying to just like, quote unquote, get through it. So I'm glad that I dialed back on it. So I uh, haven't got to the end yet, but I am interested to see what happens. Yeah, it would be nice if they would, like, let <clears throat> you set up a push notification for it for, like, if every day at, like, 6 p.m. it's like, oh, hey, check your timeline, and then it kind of reminds you to, like, open it and, like, scan through it. I think that would be neat. Did you play a game that was on iOS called Lifeline? Did you play that? It came out, like, two years ago, three years ago? Lifeline. Is this the the one where you talk people through the chick in the space station or something. Yes, 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 yes. I, did you know? I didn't. I'm familiar with it, but I have not played it. Oh, did you know that Carlos worked on that? Yeah, friend of the show, Carlos Rodella, yeah. Yeah, Carlos Rodella, yeah. Hey, what's up, Carlos? Um, <laughs> yeah, he worked on that, and that, like you saying, push notifications, there's a lot of similarities between this and that, sort of. Um, in Lifeline, which is still available, I think there's actually been like three or four sequels to it by now, but that game was about your iPhone was, you know, like you have to go along with this conceit was like the only way of communicating with somebody who was trapped on a faraway planet and they were calling to you for help. And so for whatever reason, like, yeah, your iPhone gets the the message. And so they ask you like, Oh, I'm in a spaceship and I can go left or right. What should I do? I need help. And so you would tell them which way to, to go. 
And then they would like go and do it in real time. And so like after a while, they would send you a push notification to say, like, it'd be like, like real time, like three hours later, they'd be like, okay, I made it here. I'm here. I'm safe. And then here's what I found at the ship. And here's three options. And I think I want to do option A, but maybe option B, what do you think I should do? And they'll ask you. And then you tell them something and they're like, okay, well, give me like a minute and I'll do it. And then like, maybe like in 45 minutes, you would get like a push notification and that was them trying to get back in touch with you. Very cool idea. And I think that um, it would be kind of neat if there was something along those lines for this. But at the same time with the premise of like you checking in every two years or something, I mean, I'm not sure how that would work. But yeah, if you want to try something along those lines, Lifeline is really good. The first one was really good. I don't know if any of the later sequels were good, but uh, that's definitely something worth checking out. But uh, as far as Killing Time at Lightspeed, are you going to push on with it, Corey, or what do you think? I might. I can't make any promises, but if I think about it, I will check back in on my timeline. All right. I don't have anything else to say other than to encourage you to do it just once a day and see how that goes for you. Any last thoughts on this game before we move on? I don't think so. Let's move on. All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I have to apologize to people listening to the podcast. If I'm making a whole bunch of noise, I really am sorry. Uh, there's been a really big pollen <laughs> spike in my area and I have allergies really badly. So I'm just like choking and dying of pollen right now. <laughs> so if you hear me like choking, coughing, snorting, sneezing, I really, really apologize, but I'm like, I am overcome with pollen at the moment. So I'm doing my best and I, I'm sorry if it's distracting. Uh, so defiance 2050 just had a closed beta on PS4 and Xbox One, and I believe on PC. This is put out by Tryon Worlds, who do a number of different MMOs. And this game actually originally came out, I want to say, five years ago. Yes, 2013 is when it originally came out on the Xbox 360. And I reviewed it at that time, played through it at that time, and I was very surprised to see that it was getting a re-release uh, right now on modern consoles. I'll give you a quick backstory. Uh, a couple years ago, there was a TV show on the Sci-Fi Network called Defiance. Did you ever see that, Corey? I did not. It was not a very popular show. It was about a bunch of different aliens who converge on the same planet for some reason. They start off fighting, and then something, something, something. They all have to like learn to live together. So there was like four or five different alien races which were trying to live in harmony in this one planet that was, I think the planet was called Defiance, I think. Uh, and so that was, that was the show on sci-fi. I thought it was pretty decent. I didn't watch the entire series, but I watched a fair chunk of it. I thought it was okay. Uh, so this game was originally called Defiance and it was a tie in to that TV series. Uh, what this is, it's a third person multiplayer online game, kind of an, you know, it's kind of an MMO, but at the same time, it controls very much like a real-time third-person shooting action game, and there is a full single-player component to it. So if you didn't want to engage in the MMO parts, you didn't have to. You could just play the entire story all by yourself. It was completable, and I did complete it. So that was really cool. But the other cool thing was, like, I believe this came out around the same time, more or less, as Destiny did, and I felt like Defiance actually delivered on a lot of the things that Destiny promised and never did. I mean, you had... A lot of really drop-in uh, community events that you could do. It was very common to be like driving through the wilderness or whatever, and you would see somebody off in the distance who needed help. And they were not your friend. They were not on your friends list. It was just like a rando stranger. You could go help them. And you could group up all of a sudden. And then if you wanted to stop gripping with them, you could like leave. Uh, you know, a lot of third-person shooting action, like very, uh, very fun. So I really enjoyed this game a lot back then. I thought it was great on the 360. It had... 
some problems. I think the menu system was really cluttered. I think they weren't quite sure what they were doing about upgrades and how to marry the single player progression with MMO progression, because those two are very wildly different things. Uh, so it had some rough patches, but overall, I really, really enjoyed the feeling of being in a single player campaign, but there also happened to be a lot of people around. And if I wanted to go help them or if I need to help or if there was something going on, there was a lot of like real actual stuff going on that you could go investigate. And at the time on 360, I thought that was pretty revolutionary. That was a lot of what Destiny was promising before Destiny came out and Destiny failed to deliver on that. Uh, but Defiance delivered out of nowhere. And I thought they did a much better job than Destiny did. So I had a lot of affection for this game back in the day. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Gave it a great favorable review. Like I said, completed the entire campaign. I thought it was wonderful. Um, but I always wanted to see what it would look like on a better system or if they had done more to continue it forward. Um, one other thing also that I think really sunk it, like I said, they tied this to the TV show. The TV show didn't really do that well. And one of the hooks of Defiance back then was that they were having these public events where characters would show up in the game. And depending on what players did in the game, uh, like if they saved a character or if they killed a character, the character on the TV show would, you know, live or die based on what people did in the game. Cool idea. It happened maybe like once or twice, but the developers didn't really buy into it. The people on the TV show didn't really do a lot with it. So I thought it was kind of bogus that they tried to make that happen. They would have been probably better off just not even tempting it in the first place. But that was another big hook back in the day for Defiance. So that is the game in a nutshell from five years ago. I have stuff to say about it now. But, Corey, I'm assuming you didn't... So you didn't know the TV show. I'm assuming you never played this game, and I sent you a code for the beta. Did you play it? What did you think of it? Please give us your impressions. Okay, so just to preface further, Brad DMs me on Twitter, sends me a code out of nowhere. It does not even say what it's for. I have no idea what it is. And I DM him a single question mark back, and he's like, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you're like, oh, I really love this game. Uh, maybe we can play it together. Didn't, Still did not tell me what it is. So I come home and I put the code in my PS4 and I see Defiance 2050 come, out, come up. And I was like, I don't know what this game is at all. Never heard of it. So I played it um, for about a half an hour. And I feel like you already know what I'm going to say about this game. I mean, it feels like, and I mean, to its credit, I only played it for like half an hour. I didn't play it for, you know, 10 hours or, you know, get really like, like, like sink myself into it. But it feels like the poorest poor man's destiny, kind of like, it's like a third person shooter. You select one of like, three alien races at the very beginning and customize your character. The game does not make it clear what the rate, if the races have any impact on anything, who the races are, where they're from, what their objectives are. It's just like, Oh, here's these like three or four races you can pick from. Um, you customize your character. It uh, gives you like four classes, but you can only play the first class uh, without enough XP to unlock the rest of the classes or something like that. Um, the game lets you pick a voice for your character, which I thought was fascinating because it gives you like four or five different voices to choose. But then the character is like mainly a silent protagonist. So I didn't really understand like what the point of having so many voices was. Um, 
but it's just like you started the game you're on like a ship there's like a commander dude who's all like hoity-toity about something and there's like a scientist guy who's like who's like oh well i'm in charge of this operation and the military guy's like oh well i'm mad and grr and they like argue about some stupid shit and then like everybody gets ready to go because like the ship is like landing or something and then they like so you like eject your pods because it's like a crash landing some woman like i guess it's like a race on the planet like finds your escape pod and opens your pod and you come out and then you have this like ai thing that's like in your body that projects itself as this like manifestation in the world and i don't know like it's just not it's uh, like i did not really enjoy my time with it and i probably would never play it again but it's just like it's kind of this is i hope this doesn't sting too hard when i say this brad but it feels like when i played uh warframe for the first time like that's what this feels like it's just like feels like every other sort of online shooter thing where it's like random people with their screen names above their heads running around in a lobby area and then you like start a mission and all the mission is is just to like go to some place and shoot some things and there's like a bunch of menus with upgrades and powers and it's really convoluted and i was really not interested in this i don't blame you um so i'll tell you so like i said this originally debuted on the 360 I mean, imagine playing this on the 360. It might be kind of hard to imagine the time and the I place. I mean, and the it context. still looks like it's on the 360 on the place. I know. Okay, so yeah, let me. Okay, let me back it up a little bit. So I did love this on the 360. I thought it was actually ahead of its time on the 360. Uh, it was doing a lot of cool things that other games were not doing, and I really, really liked it a lot. I was very excited when PR told me they were bringing it to new consoles because I'm like, oh, great! I thought they had great bones for that game, great structure. Really looking forward to seeing what they did with it they didn't do anything with it. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, it literally looks like a very slightly up 360 port. And I'm like, oh man, I totally thought they were going to like fix it up. Like I, I mean, this was great back in the day, but it is not anywhere near being on par with what games are these days in terms of graphics, in terms of controls, in terms of structure. I mean, I think that the basis for something awesome is still there. And I had a great time with it back in the day, but that was like five years ago. And games have advanced a lot in the last five years, especially when you talk about online stuff. And so when I saw that they had just ported it, I was like, oh, man, I was expecting a brand new story because the story is still very much tied to the TV show, which has been canceled for a couple of years. And like nobody even knows the TV show anymore. I was expecting like a redone campaign. Or, I mean, they did they did some fixes. Like, I don't want to say they didn't do anything to it. They really fixed some of the menus. The menus were really bad last time. They're still somewhat bad this time, but they're better. They're definitely better than I remember. Some of the progression is different. Some of the powers are different. So it's not like they haven't done anything to it. But if you have never seen this game before and you have no frame of reference, it looks like just a janky-ass 360 port with, like, very little work done to it. And I was really disappointed um, because I think this game has a lot of potential, but the way that it is now, it's going to, it's DOA. Like no one's going to play this. No one's going to like it. No one's going to even understand what it's about. And it just looks so bad. And the controls are not where they need to be. And they just haven't done enough to like refresh it. I just feel like this is a colossally wasted opportunity. I, I mean, maybe they get like two guys to port it to PS4 for a pizza and five bucks. And maybe that's why they're doing it. <laughs> oh my God. But, like, I'm like, why would you sink the resources into this game if you're not going to, like, update it? I mean, there's no way anybody's going to play this when there's 
PUBG and Fortnite and Overwatch and all these other games that you can play, I, uh, I just, it was really disappointing. I mean, I jumped into it. I'm like, wait a minute. This is literally the exact same game that I played back then. It even looks exactly the same. It's the exact same campaign, the exact same missions. Almost nothing is different. And it looks like a 360 game. Like, and not even a good one. Like, like one of the earlier 360 games, you know? So I was very, very disappointed. Um, I played about maybe an hour of it. And I was just like, uh, I wish there was, I wish they had done more. Um, I think that it's going to, it's going to tank. It's going to tank. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be DOA, which is a shame because I think there is room for a game like this. If they gave it enough attention, if they fixed it up, polished it up and did some things to it, I think that the core of what this game is, is really fun. And I had a great time with it back then, but it's not going to cut the mustard by just bringing this straight up to, uh, modern consoles. So I was very disappointed to see that this was basically just like a straight port of this old game, which is based off a TV show, which has been canceled for years. And that's all <laughs> they really did to it. So I have very fond memories of it, but I have no illusions that this game is going to do anything these days. It's 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 going to die real quick and real hard. So that was a very disappointing thing to see. Well, to to their credit, <clears throat> knowing what I know now after you uh, kind of gave a little bit more backstory and hearing that it's a direct port, to their credit, this they it, this totally was ahead of its time at the time because right playing this right now on the PlayStation Four, not knowing anything about its backstory, it feels very similar to every other sort of free to play games of service, you know, kind of Warframe or, uh, you know, like cross out X uh, sort of game. Um, so like to their credit, it does seem to be ahead of its time or it was at the time, but it's just a shame that by the time it made the jump to PS4, there's already probably so many experiences out there who have really capitalized on this idea a lot better. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. So like five years ago, this game was awesome and very forward thinking and very new and fresh and exciting. But like I said, a lot has happened in the last five years, especially online. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a great game back then and nobody played it back then. So I, I was happy to see that it might get a second chance, but if all they're doing is just a straight port of this game, it was ahead of its time back then, but it feels like behind the curve now, which is not a good place to be. So I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Why would you dig this game up and bring it out now and not really do anything to it? I mean, they must be able to be to doing it for like a song because, I don't know why else they would do it, but um, it's not a bad game. I think it's a great game. It's a cool campaign that you can play through. It's not going to look that great. It's not going to handle that great, but I think there is something very neat about it. Even still, I think the way they handle the open world interactions is pretty cool. Um, even still, uh, unfortunately, it was only a closed beta. I was actually going to message you um, yesterday to see if you wanted to play. And when I jumped on the bed, the servers were turned off. So I was like, oh, never mind. so we couldn't even play it. Um, but I think that if people want to check it out and I mean, I don't know if they're going to launch it as a free to play or what, but I hope so. I mean, that would be like, it's only hope I would think. Uh, but I mean, heads up. I mean, I hate to say bad things about it cause I think it was great back then. I just, I just, am really surprised that they're, they're doing a straight port. So anyway, that's all I have to say about it. Um, I may dip back into it once it launches, but I think I probably won't have a lot more to say about it. Um, I don't imagine you would probably want to jump back into it again. I would probably not. <clears throat> All right, let's let it go for now. I may touch back in on this. I may not. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, yeah, love that game back in the day. Moving on. Very excited to talk about this. I'm going to let you take the lead. We should talk about uh, 
game maker and auteur David <laughs> Cage just oh released God. a demo on PS4 of Detroit Beyond Human. Um, I don't know if the demo is still available. I think it might still be, so people listening could probably download it. This is, I believe, the E3 demo that they showed at the last E3 Expo, and it is now up for grabs, up for sampling. Corey, would you like to tell us about uh, David Cage's latest work? I would. So despite every what everybody says about um, Quantic Dream, which is David Cage's uh, French video game development studio, I, I mean, I kind of sort of stand by them, although lately there have been rumblings that there's been a lot of like sexual misconduct and sexual harassment claims in the office, and that is not cool. That's something I will not stand by. Um, but like, I liked Heavy Rain a lot. I liked Beyond Two Souls, even though that game kind of got a bad rap. And I've been hesitantly excited for Detroit Become Human, which is their next game. Um, and so they put out a demo for it. The whole premise of Detroit Become Human is sort of like, I mean, it's like a story that's been done six million times. There are a race of robots that are made. I don't even know if you can call them a race. There are a bunch of robots that are made that are kind of like household servants um, or like you know, uh, like workers and stuff like that. At a certain point in time, I think that the robots learn that they can be self-serving and that they can rebel and that they're more powerful than humans. And I think the game you, I think in the game you play as, I don't know if you only play as robots or if you play as robots and humans and you're sort of like paving the way for the public opinion of robots based on the actions that you do, um, if anybody's familiar with uh, Quantic Dream's other work, you know, there's a lot of branching storylines, there's a lot of paths you can go down, a lot of dialogue options. I'm sure that if it's true to, like, Heavy Rain's roots, I'm probably the robot characters you play as can maybe die in the middle of the game, or maybe they can survive or something. The story does not seem innovative at all, but, I mean, David Cage thinks that he writes the most interesting stories in video gaming, which is not true, but... Um, but more interesting than other games, I can say that, because um, at least it's not like a fucking space marine on Mars or something. But uh, the demo takes place in a penthouse apartment kind of area, like a condo, very high class. Uh, you play as a android who is a police interrogator named Connor, and he arrives at the scene of an apartment where an android has taken a young girl hostage on sort of like the outdoor deck patio area where like the pool and like the hot tub and stuff are out there. Um, the police have been on the scene for a while. They are trying to figure out what to do. Uh, the Android is standing on the very edge of the building, very high up in the air, like on the top floor of the skyscraper has a gun, has a young human girl. She's probably like 10 or so. Um, and so they send you in as the Android, uh, sort of interrogator or negotiator, if you will, to figure it out. So, you step into the apartment, and uh, you have to talk to, like, the police commander first, and and then you're free to kind of explore the environment. And given that this is a Quantic Dream game, you can kind of do anything you want. Like, you can, if you want to go directly to the patio and ta try to talk to the robot and negotiate, you can certainly do that. Um, the game sort of tips you into the direction of wanting to explore the apartment as much as possible to get as much evidence before you go outside. So you can go into the young girl's room who's been who's been taken hostage. You can explore her room, see if you can find anything in there that might help you negotiate with the android. 
you can um, go into the living room and kitchen and there are dead bodies. One of the police, the first responding police officer was killed by the android. His dead body's on the floor. The android's owner, like the dad of the family, he is dead in the living room. You can investigate both of their bodies if you want to try to get more info. You can look around the kitchen. And then you can go, the kind of the final sequence of this mission is to go out onto the patio where you engage in sort of a verbal, like you're negotiating as you're walking toward this robot, trying to get him to calm down, trying to figure out if you can get him to step back into the apartment, to give up the hostage, to talk some sense into him, to figure out what's going on. Um, as with any Quantic Dream game, the the scenario can end like seven or eight different ways. The cool thing about this game is every time you finish, or I'm assuming every time you finish a big scene like this, uh, but in the demo, you finish it and it gives you this giant flowchart that kind of like shows you how everything can progress. And the first time I finished it, I was kind of confused because um, I, I finished it and I got one ending and I thought it was an okay ending. Like I was pretty satisfied. And then I played it again and I did things a little bit different and I got the same ending. And then I played it again and did things a little bit different and I got the same ending. And I was like, I don't like, what is going on here? So I ended up playing the demo about seven times, which might seem like overkill, but all in all, it probably only takes about 15 minutes to play it. Um, and so I ended up getting all of the different endings and try, you know, sometimes I would try to like do things that I wouldn't normally do on purpose. Sometimes I would say things that maybe I thought were out of line just to like see what would happen um, to try to get like, you know, the better endings or the worse endings. Uh, because the fascinating thing is that like, maybe what I thought was a good ending wasn't necessarily what the game thought was a good ending. And maybe like what I um, thought was maybe like not a great outcome. The game seemed to like kind of sort of congratulate me on a little bit because there is a way to get like kind of like the 100% like synced ending where it's sort of like the game telling you that it's like the good ending maybe, but I didn't really feel like it was a good ending, but I'm not really sure. Um, I don't, like, I'm not really afraid of spoiling the demo because it's just, like, a one scene in the game and it's out for everybody to play right now. But before I say anything else, uh, Brad, I know you played it a couple times. Um, <clears throat> what how, what was your take? Um, so, yeah, I did play it. I think I played it three times total. Uh, and, you know, I... I I have my issues with David Cage. I think that he is terrible at telling a cohesive story, but I think he <laughs> is really brilliant at showing short scenes. Like like with Heavy Rain, there were a couple really, really powerful scenes that I, th I thought were very, very effective, but the story overall um, I took a lot of issue with. The same thing with um, it was Indigo Prophecy, also known as Fahrenheit. A couple oh, scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a couple scenes. Very good, very good, and in general, kind of like the idea of it, but like it kind of fell down as a giant story. Um, I only played a little bit of Beyond Two Souls. I actually meant to go back and play that again, and I, I, I got it on PSN. I think it's been free a couple times. I think I bought it on sale. Um, so I, I got to go back to that one and give that one a second try. Um, so I think the Cage is an interesting guy. He, <clears throat> excuse me, has an ego, which is fine because I think all the best creators need to have some kind of an ego. But he's kind of a madman sometimes. Um, I don't know about this sexual allegation stuff. I mean, if that's the case, uh, hopefully he will. I don't know, get what's coming to him or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't have any truck with that. But yeah, I will. I also want to make it clear that I don't think 
I, I mean, I maybe I shouldn't have said anything because I don't know all of the facts or all the reports. But from my understanding, I don't think the allegations are like that David Cage like sexually assaulted anybody. I think that like his, the environment that he keeps within the offices at Quantic Dream is not like healthy for women, maybe. Yeah. But I don't know if it's like his fault directly. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't have any direct comment on that. I didn't read up on it, but I did hear a lot of rumblings about it, and it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case based on how he treats women in his games. Um, <laughs> yes, good point. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's proof right there. Anyway, anyway, any other than that. So about this game specifically, um, I thought the graphics were great. It did very much control like his Quantic Dream MO, like you're kind of walking around a little bit clunky, not too bad. You see stuff in the environment. You can examine. Um, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but as you examine evidence, you can recreate scenes. Like you can collect oh, two yeah, or three I different totally pieces of evidence. Yeah, and then you can replay what happened and then that will lead you to other clues and so that helps you investigate more of what's going on i i even though it was a demo and i knew there was really nothing at stake like it wasn't like i was you know i had just put 20 hours in and i was really concerned about the ending i was going to get i mean it was like just a, a low commitment demo i felt very pressured for time like i felt like i wanted to explore the environment at my leisure and it seemed like the more info you had the better you would do but also like stuff is happening in real time or maybe not real time but you would trigger stuff off and it seemed like it was happening in real time. And so I felt like, like hurry, 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 hurry. So that was, I mean, good in the sense that I felt like engaged in what was going on. Like I felt like I needed to actively participate and get to the bottom of things. Um, I mean, the mechanics, it, it all par for the course. If you've played any of his previous games, you know exactly what to expect with the branching paths and about the talking to people. And I thought it was pretty well done. I was interested. I definitely want to play the full game for sure. But like you, I got my first ending and I thought that was a fine ending replayed it and I did different things and I got the same ending again. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> replayed it a third time and it did even more different things. And I got the same ending again. And oh I'm like, okay, God. wait, I'm like, okay. So I saw the flow chart that they show you, which is pretty cool because it shows you at the end of the scene, how all the different branches go. It gives you a very concrete idea of what you could have done differently. And yet, even with all that information, I still kept getting the same ending. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I stopped playing it after three times. I was going to have my wife play it and see what she did, but she hasn't got around to it yet. But overall, I mean, positive. I mean, I I like sci-fi. I, you know, the, the android theme of are these robots? Are they human? Do they have souls? I mean, this is not new stuff. This has been covered a thousand times. Uh, but I am curious to see how they handle it. Uh, I am also waiting for the 1,000 hot takes which we'll talk about how the androids in this game compare to near Automata. So that's on its way. Look forward to that. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I play all of Cage's games anyway. And uh, like I said, I got to circle back to Beyond Two Souls, but I will get back to it. Um, I just I just like to see what he's up to. I think even though he's not perfect, I'm, a, I'm interested in his work and he does things that not everybody else does. So even if he's a weird egotistical crackpot, he still is doing things which I think are somewhat interesting. So, I mean... Uh, I was going to play this anyway, and the demo I thought was pretty positive. I, I left with a pretty good feeling about it. So what were your uh, your further thoughts, Corey? Um, I, so, okay, so something that I have a big problem with in this game, and this is not limited to this game. This is basically branching to all of his games, plus other games with dialogue systems. Um, so in this game, there's a lot of uh, pressure. Once you step out onto the patio, you sort of, like, begin the negotiation sequence, and as you're walking toward the and the rogue android who has like the the gun and has um has the, the hostage 
Um, you sort of keep engaging in conversation with them, and all of the face buttons on the PlayStation 4 controller, the square, the circle, the triangle, um, the X, they will coincide. <laughs> it gives you one word on the screen for each button, and you, like, press the word that you want to say or, like, the kind of thing you want to say. And I have... I have a really big kind of love-hate with this kind of dialogue system because, for example, there is a very specific point where you're kind of, like, getting into the android's head. You're, like, kind of getting him on your side, getting him to trust you a little bit. And he says he starts, like, making demands, and he says something about, like, oh, like, I, I want a car. I want you to give me a car. I will come off the rooftop, and I will take her with me. But once I get out of the city limits, I will drop her off, and I will leave. And so your character, Connor, has, I think it's like three or four things that you can say back to him. And one of them, one of the buttons says compromise. And I was like, okay, I will press the compromise button. And maybe, like, I will tell him I'm going to give him a car. And maybe they'll, like, arrest him in the garage. Or maybe, like, I'll lie to him. Or maybe, hell, maybe I'll just give him a car. And then they'll run off. And maybe we'll just have to hope that the rogue android will make the right decision. So, like, I think I know what I'm getting myself into. But I press the compromise button. And Connor immediately is like, I don't think that's going to be possible. And I was like, what the fuck does the word compromise mean? Like, I guess it's like coming to a conclusion between two things, like working something out. But I like, I thought when I pressed the button, he was going to be like, okay, let's work through this. We'll get you a car. Maybe we won't let you drive out of the city or, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get you one or something. And that kept happening in this game where, and, and, and in his other games and in other games that aren't David Cage's were like, you, you see an emotion tied to a button. You press the button thinking you're going to get one response, and you get a completely different response. So it like it's kind of nice because like it's not like a cookie-cutter Mass Effect thing where it's like you have the good, the neutral, and the bad response, but it's also annoying because it's like you never know what you're going to get. And I felt like whenever I was playing this, like working toward trying to get different endings and trying to get different things, like I almost got like a pen and paper out and started like, writing down the dialogue buttons and like what exactly connor would say whenever i press them because like if you press compromise you think he's going to maybe agree with the rogue android but that's not what i got at all so it was just like kind of frustrating for me because if i'm going to try to keep a really consistent tone as i play through the entire story of the game whenever i get the full game i feel like it's going to be a difficult thing to do but on the flip side it's kind of nice that it's unpredictable because if it's just good, bad, neutral decisions that it gets kind of boring. And I just wish that there were like some middle ground in there that this game could go for. But I just kept getting frustrated because like I felt like I would choose a dialogue choice that I wanted or that seemed reasonable. And then like Connor wouldn't say exactly what I thought he was going to say. And then the robot would get pissed off. And like I thought he was going to like kill the girl or something. And so it just wasn't. I don't know. It was inconsistent is maybe the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that, that's pure bullshit. I hate when anybody does that. That is, <laughs> it's really bullshit because if you want to talk about unpredictable situations or emotion or emotionally navigating something or dealing with somebody who's under duress, their responses are already chaotic and unpredictable enough. You don't know what their personality is like. You don't know if you're going to accidentally trigger them. You don't know how that's going to go. You do not need the added randomness of the button saying compromise. And then you say, fuck you, you're not getting anything. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, that's not a compromise. When I play these games, what I want and what I think is fair 
is for the developers to fucking put down exactly the thing that you were going to say. If you were going to say, I will get you a car, but you can't leave the city, it better fucking say, I will get you a car, you will not leave the city on the fucking screen. Because you are that character. You you know what you're going to say. There should be no mystery in what you are going to say. The mystery is how they are going to take it or how they're going to react. And so for you to have any kind of ownership of what happens any kind of buy-in uh, and going along with these stakes, you have to know what you're doing. And if you stumble fuck your way through this thing, thinking you're going to say one thing and then it turns out to be something different, not because of how they react, but because of what you say is not what you thought you were going to say, that's bullshit. And Cage is guilty of that. Other games, like you said, are also guilty of that. That is a bullshit fucking thing. <laughs> I hate that mechanic. I wish that people would just simply tell you literally what... It doesn't have to be good, bad, neutral. It could just be like, just tell me exactly to the letter what am i going to say and then let me choose i can figure out what's the right thing to say i can try to gauge how they're going to react and just let the game play out that way because it doesn't make any sense that you don't know what your own character is going to say when you are in control of that character it is fucking bullshit so i hate that <laughs> uh total bullshit so i want to get back to this ending thing though um i guess we can talk about this because it's just it's just a demo and I, i'm not even sure that this scene is even in the game i think this may be a standalone demo uh, but in my the ending that I kept getting was when Connor would edge closer and closer to the android that was sitting on the ledge with the girl and he would like leap forward, grab the girl's arm and pull her back onto the roof while also pushing the, the other android off. And then Connor would fall with the android. And as you were falling, so the two androids end up falling off the roof, but the little girl is saved on the roof. And as you're falling, like the words come up, mission successful. And then Connor seems to like get this like blissful look on his face before they smash into the concrete. So <laughs> I, that was the only ending I could get. And I didn't want to keep doing it because I was kind of like I had had enough by that point. But is that the one that you kept getting over and over? That is the one I got three times in a row. Yes. So what the fuck did you have to do differently to get something else to happen? Because that I, it was kind of pissing me off. Okay, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember exactly, but the interesting thing for me is that the thing that I, it took me a long time to get around to was um, whenever you're doing the investigation in the house and you look at the cop shootout thing, you see the cop's gun that goes under the kitchen table, right? Yes, yes. Well, the first, like, three or four times I played it, like, if you take Connor over to the gun and you pick up the gun, there's, like, an alert that comes up and it says, like, you know, the whatever Android Arms Act of 2010 or whatever, like, says that androids are not allowed to carry weapons. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to pick up the gun then because it's, like, against the rules. It's against the law. So it wasn't until I think, like, the fourth time that I played it where I picked up the gun and he, like, picks it up and he kind of tucks it behind his belt and it, by his back under his jacket so nobody sees him take it. And the fascinating thing for me is that to get what I believe is the quote-unquote best ending, you have to pick up the gun, go out to the patio, and then, like, whenever you go out, the, like, the second thing the rogue android says to you, he's like, oh, are you armed? And you can either lie to him or you can tell him that you're armed. And in order to get the best ending, you have to take the gun, go out to the patio, and then tell him that you're armed and throw the gun to the side so that he'll, like, trust you more, that you're trustworthy about telling him that you're armed and then throwing the gun away, which seems like kind of like a big pointless circus in order to get there. And so, like, I, I wish that he would ask you if you were armed if you didn't have the gun, because I don't know if the androids have some kind of weird, like electromagnetic sixth sense where he can like sense that Connor has the gun or something. But if you don't have the gun, he doesn't ask you if you're armed. If you do have the gun, um, you can 
you can either tell him you have the gun and throw it to the side or you can lie to him and then if you get to the end of the building because i did this twice you can draw your gun and it gives you like a couple of uh a couple of choices and if you take the first chance you can shoot the android he falls off i think you shoot him he falls off the roof and you grab her hand and pull her back but that's like technically a mission successful but it's still not the best one if you hesitate and you pull the gun and just threaten him first instead of shooting him first, then the android shoots you in the head and you die right then and there on uh, on the platform and it's over with. But the best ending, which I feel like is not the best ending, but the best ending that the game says, I think that the game says, is you take the gun out, you throw it away, you go over to the injured police officer, you do not help him, and then you edge toward the building, you tell the helicopter to go away, and then you eventually, the the rogue android hits a 100% sink, and you kind of, like, convince him to step forward off the roof to get, to come closer. And then as soon as he walks toward you um, and kind of steps away from the edge of the roof, the little girl takes a few steps forward. And then fucking police snipers kill the rogue robot right then and there on the rooftop. And that's, like, the 100% synced ending, whereas I thought it was going to be, like, they would like save him or like wipe his hard drive or something. But apparently the good ending is you getting the girl and then the police snipers just like shooting this Android a bunch of times on the roof. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, maybe there's more to that. It's kind of weird to step into that because you don't have any context. Like you said, like are the androids able to electromagnetically scan me? Does that mean that they know if I'm lying? Does it not? What is the history how should I be approaching these things? Like, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I think it's more about mechanically, how is this game going to play? Which is kind of weird because I think anybody who's played a cage game pretty much knows what to expect. I mean, this is not, in terms of mechanics, this is not a diversion from what he's been doing this whole time. It's just a new setting, new characters. So I don't know if there's a lot to be gleaned, but I did think that, you know, I mean, it's it's a cage game. And if you like cage games or if you're interested in at least seeing what they're doing, this is, you know, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. And it, uh paints that picture for you. So I will definitely play this um, for sure. There's no guaranteeing if it's going to be good, if it's going to be a clusterfuck or what, but I definitely will play it. I'm assuming you're already like automatically down. Yeah, I definitely want to play this whole game. All right. I mean, did you walk away? Um, just kind of final thoughts on the demo here. Did you walk away from this thinking it was anything other than the expected cage game or what was your, what was your takeaway? It's pretty much exactly what I expected. What I fucking wish David Cage would do, and this is maybe the one thing I was hoping he would fix that he has not fixed, is like, for some stupid reason, he makes the right stick, like the interact with the world button, and he also makes the right stick the camera controls. So like, there's a part where you walk in the bedroom and there's like headphones on the ground and you have to angle the camera down to look at the headphones and then you have to do this stupid like, prompt with the right stick to make him pick them up like how hard would it be to just make like the x button the pick up headphones button or something it's so annoying to me that he has mapped the camera controls and like the interact with the world controls to the same thumbstick it's so stupid yeah he's always had a kind of a weird approach towards controls i think with every single game he's put out there's always been something kind of funky about what he's done but that's just par for the course, man. I just expect that these days. So <laughs> game, smooth gameplay has never been his thing. I think it's more about scenes, about emotions, about ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So this seems like another David Cage joint, which I'm down for, for good or for ill. It seems like you are also down. 
and I'm sure I am sure that we will talk about this when this comes out. I don't. Do you know when it releases? It's pretty soon, isn't it? I think it's uh, end of May. I want to say like May 25th or something. Yeah, pretty soon, pretty soon. I do not think we're going to be getting any review copies because we are not on Sony's uh, good side these days. <laughs> so I'll probably have to game fly it, or I'll just have to buy it or something. But we will talk about it on the show to be certain. Let's move on. Uh, we're kind of running short on time, and my throat is kind of going to give out on me because all this pollen is just getting the best of me. Oh, um, let me give a quick shout to Exmorph Defense European Assault. This is a new DLC which just came out, I think, two weeks ago for Exmorph Defense, which is a to- active tower defense game where you play as the aliens invading Earth. You control a ship which is able to transform into four different modes, and you need to keep humans these filthy filthy humans away from your alien installation until you can take over the entire earth i talked about this last year do you remember me talking about exmorph defense Corey? i remember at length you talking about this game yeah i loved this game when it came out last year it was really like a breath of fresh air i feel like the developers really nailed the active tower defense genre in fact i would say that the core campaign of exmorph defense is probably one of the best active tower defense if not the best active tower defense game that there is a uh, very wonderful experience. It was actually on my top 10 of the year last year, nothing but good things to say about it. So I was surprised to hear that they were coming out with a DLC because it feels like it's been quite a while since that game hit. And from what I understand, it didn't really do all that well. I think the generic name probably didn't do it any favors and the PR budget wasn't huge. It's hard to tell what makes it so special from a glance. It looks just like any other tower defense type of game. So I'm not surprised Uh, But it was really um, a gem, a true gem. Really enjoyed it. So PR reached out to me and they said, hey, man, we got this European Assault DLC coming out. Would you like to give it a go? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I love the core game. We'd like to check out what you guys are doing with this. Let's let's give it a whirl. So I've been playing it. And before I talk about this, Corey, let me ask you a question. So when you play a game, let's say that you like a game. When it comes to DLC, like, what do you usually like in your DLC? Like, like if someone was to say, hey, Corey, if you liked game A and there's going to be DLC for it, like, what kind of DLC would you like? Man, that, uh, we've talked about this before because I feel like I bring this up every time I talk about, like, Dishonored DLC because I like DLC that is, like, basically all of the ideas of the main game, but like compressed into a smaller package, kind of like the last of us left behind as a great example. I love dishonored. Well, dishonored death of the outsider is kind of like a standalone game. Um, but like most dishonored DLC, it's just like more of the game. And it's weird. Cause I love that, but also it's like, not like it's not anything new or anything fancy. Like I don't expect DLC to, bring some new special thing to the table most of the time i'm just satisfied if it's more of the same i will however fall head over heels for more of the same if it's in like a new interesting place or if there's like a new interesting character or something so that's usually what i get down with all right so i of course that was a really broad question i didn't mean to put you on the spot there but (laughs) um for me when i look at dlc it kind of depends if it's a narrative game I, I, what I like is to continue that narrative, to get maybe the new perspective of a character, or to somehow enhance the core story. If it's a game where it's more about the mechanics, which Exmorph is totally about the mechanics, the story is just like this threadbare pretense to get you from level to level, 
I think I'm more interested in seeing new mechanics or seeing them do something different from the core campaign, some kind of new spin on it somehow. Um, so the European Assault DLC, I did not complete it, just full disclosure, did not finish it. What happens is you play it and it's exactly the same as the core campaign, which initially seems fine, but they have jacked up the difficulty like really, really high. And even on the easiest difficulty, I think I put it on very easy, which was like the easiest. I felt like the challenge was going way up. Like they put way more enemies, way more things to do at the same time, way more to manage all at once. I just felt like I was drowning in um, enemies hitting me, which did not, which was not the case in the original game. I felt like the original game had a very good difficulty curve, very good uh, power creep. I mean, I thought everything about it was very uh, just measured and very uh, finely tuned. This one just feels like they're like, yeah, we're just going to throw every fucking bad guy at you all at once. And you got to just deal with that, which is not great. Like that's not really what made the game good in the first place. So I felt really overwhelmed uh, with all the characters uh, coming at me, like all the tanks, all the enemy helicopters, just like just way too much stuff on the screen, way too many bullets, way too many enemies, really hard to process it all, really hard to get a good feel for the strategy I should be doing. Uh, it just was really, really just overwhelming in a way that the core campaign was not. Uh, additionally, they do these, I mean, they do like these little spins where the first level, the twist is that they, I think they hit you with a freeze ray. So like wherever the greatest concentration of your towers are, they blast that area with a freeze ray. So if you've got like all your emplacements in one area, they freeze it. All those towers, you know, go inert and then all the bad guys sneak through. So you have to like quickly learn to not put your guys too close together. Uh, the second map has an area where certain parts of the map, you're not allowed to put any towers down. So they kind of force you to kind of deal with like half of the map being unworkable. Uh, the third map is just like totally swarming and there's a boss that comes and fights you. Um, I don't know if there was more to it than that because I didn't finish the third map with the boss. Um, I got just kind of overwhelmed and bored and kind of frustrated with it. Um, I love this game. I love the core campaign. I thought it was amazing. This just feels like overkill. It just feels like they cranked everything up to 11 and thought that would be good enough. It, it is not good enough. It is not entertaining to simply do a lot more of what you already did, just harder. And the things that they do are really irritating, like not having full range of the map or not being able to place towers where you want to place them. I feel kind of like, I mean, I get that maybe you want to switch it up, but it just kind of feels like a cheap way to make things harder. And I feel like they're already harder because you're just drowning in this ocean of enemies. So I, I kind of got tired of it and it's not even very long. I think I played three levels and I was like, okay, I had enough and I just don't want anymore. So it, it wasn't different enough to hook me. It just made the core campaign a lot harder when I thought it was perfect the first time. And it just didn't seem like a lot of new ideas going on. So I got to say it was kind of a disappointing DLC. Um, I'm not going to say it's bad, but like, just be prepared that if you want more of this game, just, you just want more enemies and just, you want it to be harder overall then that's what this is. If you want something other than more difficulty, maybe give it a pass. And I was a huge fan of the core campaign. I do not like this very much at all. I think this was a bad direction for them to go. So didn't finish it, got bored of it, ejected pretty quickly. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Uh, any, any questions, Corey? Uh, this is basically the Neo version of DLC. Is that right? I'm sorry. Say again. Uh, the game Neo. That's like what they did with the DLC for that game too, right? It was just. Oh like yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You, I, you totally had me thinking of like the Matrix for a second, and I'm like, <laughs> what does Keanu Reeves have anything to do with this? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, Neo N I O H 
Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That very good observation. Boy, I am very impressed with your recall, sir. You are a credit to this podcast <laughs> because that is exactly what happened with Neo. Neo the campaign, awesome. Neo the DLC, fucking bullshit. Where everything was turned up to like eleven, and it was just way too hard. It was bullshit. It just ruined the game. Same thing. Core campaign, awesome. DLC, bullshit. Like I just, I don't know why people fucking do this. Like I don't want just difficulty. I want ideas. I want nuance. I want you know, some kind of delicate balance to achieve. I want something interesting and just throwing a thousand more enemies at you is not interesting. I just did not enjoy this. So yeah, same thing that Neo did, same thing they're doing here. They're just cranking the DLC up to 11 and I say, skip it, skip it, skip it, skip it. So fuck this thing. Anyway, <laughs> that's all I have to say about Xmorph defense. We have one more game to cover. Let's cover this. And then uh, I need to go and get a, like a throat lozenge or something. Um, oh Corey, I talked at length about God of War the last two episodes. I'm going to take a back seat and let you take center stage because now you have received God of War via Gamefly, I assume, and you've probably put a couple hours into it. Uh, after hearing me rant and rave and moan about it for the last couple episodes, I want to know how God of War is striking you. Tell us, sir, your thoughts. Okay, I'm going to try to keep this short because I would rather talk more about it when I've played it more, but um, I am probably about... Four to five hours in, if I had to guess. Um, if we're talking in terms of story, I'm going to try to keep this vague. Um, I, I can't. I have seen The Witch of the Woods, I think, three times so far. Okay. Um, I have been, I've been past the Black Breath in the Mountain. I have gotten the thing that you get up there that you bring back to the witch. Are you with me? I mean, vaguely. It doesn't okay. matter. None of it matters anyway, but yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay. Well, okay, so here's my thing about God of War. I I think this is fine. I think it's a fine game. I, I'm i playing it. It's like I, I played it on, I think there's four difficulty levels. I started on the second one. About three hours in, I got to like a mini boss that was really difficult for me, so I turned it down to the easiest difficulty level. And since then, it's been just kind of like an easy romp for me to play through and I'm not I'm not in love with it I don't dislike it I think the story is kind of dumb but I I mean it's just like it's fine it's a fine game like it reminds me a lot a lot a lot of the order 1886 because it is a game that has production values through the roof it is so gorgeous totally beautiful like, the, the graphic design is amazing. The environments, I mean, when you're not in brown caves, uh, is amazing. Um, the, you know, sound design is really great. Like, you can tell a lot of care went into crafting this to be a wonderful audiovisual experience. The same with The Order 1886. But like The Order 1886, it is a very safe, par-for-the-course kind of copy-pasted gameplay experience that I'm used to. Whereas in the Order 1886, like, people were mad at that game because it's, like, all cover shooting. Like, of course, it's beautiful. It has a really interesting world. The voice acting is spectacular. But the whole game is just cover shooting, more or less, with some quick-time events. And I feel that way about God of War. Like, it's really beautiful. The environments are great. Voice acting's great. Sound design's great. But it's just, like, hack-and-slash-e combat. Um... And, like, some minor puzzle solving, some climbing here and there. And so, like, it's fine. Like, I mean, this is, like, 
a solid seven, seven point five out of ten. Um, I, I haven't made it to the end. Obviously, I'm only like five or so hours in. So, I mean, that has room to fluctuate. Maybe it'll get amazing. Maybe it'll I'll get tired of it and it'll get worse. Um, but it's just fine. Like when I sit down with it, I'm having a good time, but I'm not head over heels for it. Um, occasionally, I'm irritated with it. Um, I think the story is not great. Like I'm, I'm shocked that everybody is kind of like raving about how wonderful the story is because the story is not really that interesting. Like Kratos is the most boring one note character, like basically ever in video games. Like there's nothing interesting about him. He has the exact same tone of voice, the exact same mentality through the entire game. And Atreus, his son, like he breathes life into the story, but any side character would breathe would breathe life into the story because Kratos is so boring. Like it doesn't. I mean, it, Atreus is like fine. Like he's kind of just like an annoying kid, and he is kind of annoying sometimes. So he like livens up the story a little bit. Every once in a while, they have some banter that makes me laugh out loud. But, um, but like my my big issue with the story most often is that it's there seems to be a theme where you kind of like are going up this mountain with Kratos and uh, Atreus and you'll get to like some thing that will be blocking your path or some like unforeseen thing that you can't solve. And then there's like this witch that lives in the woods and she just like materializes out of nowhere. And it's like, Oh, come with me because I can solve this thing for you. And it's like, that's not good storytelling. That's not interesting storytelling. Like it's just like an excuse to go do more things in the game to pad out the gameplay a little bit. Um, and I mean, the gameplay is fine. Like the, you know, the combat's fine. The exploration's fine, but it's not like above and beyond. It's not wowing me. I mean, there was a fight with, there was a boss fight with kind of like this electric dragon thing. And that kind of got my blood pumping a little bit. Like that was a really exciting fight for me, but everything other than that is pretty just like par for the course so far. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's not a bad game. I never at any point said it was a bad game. But it's kind of like you said, like, I think the gameplay is pretty stable all the way through. Like, there's not really a lot of highs to it. Like, it's just kind of, you know, fighting a bunch of mobs. You'll meet the red mobs, the green mobs, the blue mobs. And you'll fight that same guy who has, like, that big telephone pole pillar thing. You'll fight that same guy, like, you know, (laughs) ten times. And it's the exact same fight every time. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my, my thing was, like, I started off being fine with it. And the longer it went on, like, the less interested I was. I mean, if it had stopped being at, like, 8, maybe 10 hours, it would have rated a lot higher with me, honestly, because I wasn't sick of it by that point. But that game, I think it took me 22 hours to finish it. And, like, dude, that game ran out of things to say long before that 22 hours was over. So, I mean, kind of like you said, like, if it was just about the journey of them going up to the mountain and if they had to solve these problems themselves to give them more opportunities to kind of work through it together, work through their own shit together... That would be kind of great. But yeah, the witch shows up. They have a lot of like weird, like kind of really pointless feeling fetch quests that you do that just that don't really feel very significant in any way. And and nothing really like monumental happens. Like it's just like they kind of just go along and the more time that they spend, you know, they kind of have these little advancements in their story. But it doesn't really feel like super impactful. It's not. I mean, I'm a father and it doesn't really hit me the same way that it seems to be hitting every, you know, white tech bro dude who has like a kid like they all seem to be having like major feels for this game where i'm like (laughs) weird like i i can think of a bunch of other games that hit me a lot harder than this game but you know you know everybody's mileage varies i'm not saying that 
they're wrong to feel that way. But I just, like you said, I didn't feel like the, the story was really all that great. Um, didn't really hit me, but I'm curious to see how you feel about it because at the point you're at, you're only like a quarter of the way through, like maybe a quarter, maybe, maybe a little bit more than a quarter. You've got a lot of gameplay left. So if you put another like 15 hours into it, I would be curious to see how you feel about it by then. Yeah. I mean, I plan on finishing it. Like the, like it's, it's good enough for me to, it's kind of good enough in the way that like the evil within two was good enough where it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like the stable experience that I'm interested in finishing, but I'm not like super in love with or not like head over heels. Like it, it just, it's just weird to me that out of all the games to come out that this is like, has that like uncharted, like critic proof thing going on with it. And it just baffles me because like, it's not a bad game at all. Like you and I both said, like, I'm not like hate playing this. I'm not, not enjoying myself while I'm playing it, but like, it just feels like a lot of other games I've played and it doesn't feel new or fresh or interesting. It, the story is not interesting. Um, I just think it's weird that this game is like the hill that everyone's dying on. Like it's fine for sure, but like nowhere in any <clears throat> stretch of my, imag- of my imagination would this approach like an eight or nine or 10 out of 10. Like I just, I don't, it's so weird how this game has been so critic proof much like, the uncharted games yeah i can't really explain it either i mean the 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 raft of like perfect scores um you know the wave of uh pushback and hate that we've gotten over our review i mean which is still going on by the way uh i just don't understand why everybody has picked this game like you said to be the hill that they're dying on i mean it's fine it's a totally fine game like if you like this kind of style of gameplay it's fine but like i don't i don't see how people are making a game of the year case for this I don't see how people are making a 10 out of 10 for this. Like, I think the, the flaws are pretty easy to see. I think that it's, you know, it's too long. The combat just really wears out its welcome. The story doesn't really go anywhere really interesting. The ending was really dumb. I mean, it just, you know, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, I went 6.5. Mike Susky, who did the main review, went 7.5. I mean, that feels, to me, like right where it should be. Like, I don't get why people are so emotionally invested in this. I don't get why people are holding it up as an example of what games should be. I mean, the developers at Santa Monica studio are like taking multiple victory laps all over social media, which I find to be a little bit excessive. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's fine. It's a fine game. It's not terrible. Uh, But I just don't get quite why this is the one that everybody is holding up as the game this year so who knows i mean you know and we'll see like in a couple months we'll see people did the same thing with like you know bioshock infinite or whatever or there's been a you know there's there's always there's always a game every year a couple games every year this ha- this is true for like for the entire history of video games some <laughs> game comes out people lose their collective shit over it wars happen people get mad things you know explode <laughs> and then in six months everybody looks back and goes yeah the game is okay like it happens every single time. So I am fully prepared for people in six months, look back at this and go, yeah, it was fine. But, and then we'll all, you know, get our senses back. We'll all just start, you know, thinking about it more critically and then we'll just move on with our lives. So that's, that's my prediction. I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that's the case. Like I, I don't want to shit talk this game cause it doesn't deserve it. But like, I mean, I, I just don't, yeah, I just don't get how this is like the, the go-to game right now that everybody's saying is like a perfect gaming experience. Like it's gotta be, I feel like it's just gotta be people like 
who like only own a PlayStation 4 who don't play anything other than like bloody action games. And it's like those people who like don't seem to have their eyes open to like different types of gaming experiences. Like maybe if the only games you play are games where you stab people to death, like, hey, maybe this is like a pretty amazing game, but like there's just so much more out there and there's so much more interesting things out there that it's just, yeah, weird that this is like the one that everybody's like dying for right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I like stabby games just like anybody else likes stabby games, but this, <laughs> <laughs> I like the stabbing genre. It's a good genre, but yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, uh, I mean, I talked about this a million years. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I, I'm curious to see what you think about it as the campaign uh, goes on for you, but uh, we can circle back. Once you put some more time into it and we'll do a wrap up on this and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, fine. It's a fine game. It's a fine game. I, I don't know why people are, are choosing this as their, like you said, hill to die on. I think it's a good, very apt phrase. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. We will. Uh, we'll see how it shakes down. So uh, I got nothing else to say. Any, any final thoughts on that before we wrap the show? Nope. I will keep playing it and I will, maybe we can do like a spoiler cast in the next episode. I know you, you probably never ever want to talk about this game ever again for the rest of your life, but I feel like when I beat it, we can do like a final close out and then we can move on officially. Yeah, that would be fine. I mean, I wouldn't mind spoiling a few things about it. I think there are some things to discuss that I don't want to spoil people on. So maybe we'll do a final wrap up and just, just deep dive into it. That would be fine. So All right, we will circle back to God of War at some point in the future. But for now, this brings us to the end of the show. So uh, remember, stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. And Otherwise, feel free to bail if you don't swing that way. We'll catch you next week. Also, remember, dear listeners, you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Send them to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics once the show is posted there. We are also on Twitter as a collective, at SoVideoGames, but you can reach us individually as well. My Twitter handle is my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where are you on Twitter? I am also not at Brad Galloway, but I'm at my first and last name, Corey Motley. It is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And with that, that is the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week, as always, with another installment. But for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. cool let's launch into some banter i'm sure the people are like oh my god will you please get to the good stuff because this is boring <laughs> fucking housekeeping sorry folks okay now Corey, what is on your banter agenda this week man what you been up to uh well i have a couple of things um i kind of have been mulling over in my head like this idea and i might have maybe talked about this before um but I, it's been happening again lately to me where i'm Um, And this is the product of me scrolling through Twitter way too much and just sort of, like, being irritated at, like, the world in general. And I just kind of... (laughs) Who are you, me? Come on. (laughs) I know, I know. I kind of just want to bring attention to how much I dislike what I am. And this might be a real thing, and this might be something that I'm coining right here. What I like to call dunk-on culture... Do you okay. have any idea what I'm going to be talking about here? I mean, I, I'm a f- I'm familiar with the phrase, which has become <laughs> really popular lately. I'm assuming you're going to talk about people who just live to, like, shit on other people? 
Well, what I want to talk about specifically is like, like this idea on Twitter where somebody has like, a, a, like a take on something. Maybe it's a hot take. Maybe it's a lukewarm take. Maybe it's a cold take. But they say something. They have an opinion on something, and then instead of like. At like on the opposing side, instead of like maybe making any effort to either address that or just let that opinion wither and die into the void of the internet, which is what people should do. There's this thing that happens where, I mean, on Twitter, I commonly re- see it referred to as a dunking on. And it's basically like someone will retweet that person's opinion. They will quote retweet it. I should be clear here. And then they will insert their opinion as like, oh, like you're wrong or oh, let me like um, you know, say some opinion and like something that, uh, like a concrete example I can think of lately is there was like a New York magazine piece or a New York, New Yorker piece or something. Uh, and it was like, the headline was something about, and this will tie into what you want to talk about too. The headline was something about like, Oh, the uh, Avengers infinity war, oh, like God, doesn't, doesn't set up any of the backstories, of the characters and just introduces characters out of nowhere. And every single I think everyone that I follow on Twitter, except for me, like literally every person that I follow quote retweeted that piece. And they were like, and every, everyone said the exact same thing. Like, Oh, it's almost like we have 10 years of movies to establish the backstories for all these characters, which yes, I agree with. Yes. Like that is an important thing. But what I get really tired of is whenever we live in this culture that I am coining dunk on culture where everyone feels like doing that like quote retweeting something and like saying the obvious answer and usually i'm gonna guess like 80 percent of the time these people don't actually read the article that's about the thing that they're reading and like who knows like maybe the article really was dumb like i'm part of the problem here because i didn't read it but i also didn't like reply with an opinion or quote tweet an opinion like maybe the article was actually better written than the headline because sometimes that happens. An author will write an article, an editor will write the headline, and sometimes the headline is awful or sometimes it's clickbaity. But it's like when you have this situation where everyone is quote retweeting this article and trying to like dunk on the author or dunk on the publication and like correct them about something, that is far more annoying to me than the publication writing a dumb article because you have all these people that are sharing and spreading this information that is dumb or maybe silly or maybe distasteful. And at the end of the day, all they're doing is spreading that article or that opinion farther and wider, which is working to the advantage of the person who wrote the thing rather than like working to, it's kind of like a, like a, um, any publicity is good publicity kind of thing. Right. And, and I just, like, I get so fucking tired of seeing this. And, like, the same thing that happened with, like, the White House Correspondence Center. And there was that comedian that, like, made all those topical jokes and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of, like, what the Correspondence Center is there for. And on my Twitter timeline, I mean, I know that I follow the kind of people that I want to follow. Like, obviously, I don't follow a bunch of, like, right-wing conservatives or whatever. But it's, like... My Twitter timeline, I did not see anyone actually mad at the comedian, but I saw about 100 million tweets mad at the people that were mad at the comedian. And it's just like this awful cycle of like have feeling like that everybody has to call everybody out. And, and in my opinion, like, of course, there are certain people in power that need to be called out. There are certain opinions that maybe need to be called out. But, like, this isn't really doing anything to alter the discussion of of anything. And, like, you get people on Twitter who have, like, 
10 followers whose account was created, you know, a week ago. And then some, like, famous person, quote, retweets them to, like, dunk on them or whatever. And all they're doing is giving that person more attention, more exposure, when instead we need to just let those people's opinions and bad tweets and bad articles and bad publications just go away and not give them the attention that they want and just let those articles and those opinions just disappear into the void of the internet where they belong. But people are so obsessed with, like, having to, like, dunk on people. And it's so fucking annoying to me. And I wish that everybody that did it would just shut the fuck <laughs> up and just stop. Just stop. It's so annoying to me. <clears throat> okay, so let me... let me. I want to clarify. I understand what you're saying, but I want to hone this to a fine point. So <laughs> is the thing that sticks in your craw, is it that... Is it more that people feel like they have the need to correct this person, or is it more that they are inadvertently... Uh, sharing a bad original take like which which part of it is the part that bothers you more uh, both of them equally I think because okay. I think like because it, it bothers me that these opinions that, sh that these opinions that should wither and die get shared so far and wide and that doesn't really help anything but it also annoys me that every single person feels the need to like elevate this bad take and then dunk on it whenever like that that energy could be spent better doing other things, in my opinion. So I okay, I totally get you, and I I am of two minds about this because I. So I used to do this a lot, and then I realized, kind of like what you said, I, all I'm really doing is I'm just like spreading the original bad take, which I thought was bad, which is why I commented on it in the first place, and so then I tried to stop doing it because I didn't want to give more eyeballs to something that I thought was inherently bad. So I tried to just quit, right? But it's like it's like a drug, dude. Like, once you do it a few times, <laughs> it's really tough to stop. And sometimes something so fucking stupid comes along, like, you just really want to, like, call them out on it. And it's really tough to not do that. And I get what you're saying. And at the same time, I mean, at the same time, I, I, I don't think you should share bad takes because all that does is give more attention to the person who's stupid. But at the same time... I do think there might be some inherent value in kind of like helping to steer the culture towards something that you think is better. And I, I'm not saying that everybody who dunks on somebody has that kind of intention in mind. But like if somebody says some shit about, you know, something, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some example, but whatever. If somebody says something that's really stupid and no one comments on it and it gets out there, maybe people would think that's fine. But if somebody who is like smart or somebody who has something to say or somebody has a counter opinion says, hey, this is a really bad take and I'll tell you why, because X, Y, Z, then maybe it will make people think a little bit more, maybe be a little bit more critical to say, oh, maybe I agree with this person who's doing the dunking or maybe, oh, they're totally right. Like this original article is bullshit. Like there, there's no way that should have happened. Or it's like, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying at the same time. I ugh, really irritates me sometimes to see like misinformation <laughs> or shitty takes go unchecked. You know what I mean? Totally. And I... And just so we're clear, I agree that if somebody has, like, an offensively bad, like, idea or opinion, like, they should totally be called out on it or whatever. But I think what bothers me is whenever, like, I kind of wish there were just, like, one governing body of social media that could just be like, hey, everybody, y'all don't have to retweet this 100,000 times to dunk on this person. Like, I, I got it. And it, it would just be like that one, like, the principal's office or something. Like, they could just, like, handle. And this is the problem with, like, social media is it's, like, now... Everyone has a voice, which is a good thing, but now everybody thinks that they are, like, the, um, I don't know, that, that they have, like, the best taste or that they have the right opinion or that they have the best takes or whatever. And so it's just, like, this constant need 
for people to just consistently use all their time and energy, not all their time and energy, a, a portion of their time and energy, like retweeting these people's takes and like telling them that they're wrong or whatever. And like, I mean, maybe there, there is, there are people out there who, you know, they have a bad take, a bunch of people quote retweeted or whatever. They realize they had a bad take and then like, maybe they come around on their opinion or maybe they circle back or like start thinking about what happens. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's never been like an investigation on like what happens to people who get dunked on. But like, there are certain people in the community and I'm not even going to name their names. I mean, one of them is sitting in the highest office in the United States of America right now. Um, <laughs> like, and it's like, no matter, no matter if 1 million people a day quote retweet these people's opinions and tell them that they're wrong or dunk on them, like, they're obviously not going to change their opinion. They're not going to come around on anything. And it's just like people like that just, yes, they need to be called out. But like, obviously, if they haven't changed thus far, like, what is the thing that's really going to make them come around on their opinions? I just feel like, quote retweeting is not the adequate way to be like trying to change people's minds about things. Right. So I, okay. So I got two things to say to that, like in the case of um, our shit pile in chief, nothing's going to change his mind because he is a, uh, uh, an awful monster that should not be. Uh, but in the case of, in case of like dunking on him, I think, I think that's not really an effort to change his mind, but I think it's more about, I mean, at least for me anyway, it's about, mustering all of us together to be unified against that person like you know whatever this guy says if he lies call it out and show that he's a liar again and it's not he's not going to change i mean there's no way he's going to change he's like 70 or whatever he's lived this entire life of like deceit and garbage and hate and filth and nothing's going to change him now but as long as we i mean in that particular case i think if we constantly stay on guard and don't let anything slip by don't let this normalize don't let this become the accepted truth, you know, keep calling him out and stuff, then that keeps us on guard. So it's really more about us resisting something like that or just being made aware that whatever this thing being tweeted is not true or something along those lines. But however, on the, on the other side of that, it's funny you mentioned that because it didn't occur to me until literally just now, but um, <laughs> I, I actually just saw a really good example of somebody getting dunked on and it actually did make them come around. There was um, an article recently about... A boy in a wheelchair who was in some kind of a competition. I want to say it was like Lego building or something like that. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So you saw this, right? So like the the the, the headline was like, boy confined to wheelchair engages in Lego competition or something like that. And then all these people um, in the disability community came out, started dunking on this guy and being like, hey, motherfucker, he's not confined to a fucking wheelchair. <laughs> he's a boy who just happens to be in a wheelchair. And the point of the story is that he's like doing this competition and he did really well or whatever. And so the guy was like, oh, oh, OK, my bad. And he like totally went back, changed the headline, retweeted the thing, apologized for what he did because he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, I, I don't, he didn't know it was offensive or he didn't care or whatever. But like after he saw this pushback, he's like, oh, my bad. And they totally fixed it. And so that was one case where all the dunking actually did have a positive effect where in this particular case, that guy was open to it. Um, so I think that, you know, how often does that happen? I have no idea. Maybe not as often as it should, but I think there can be some uses for it. Although at the same time, I do, I do want to like validate what you're saying, because I do think that a lot of times it can get out of hand. And when you do see the same thing, like 85,000 times in a row and everybody making like the exact same joke, it's like, well, <laughs> We're not going to bring something new to the conversation. I mean, did you really need to retweet that again? I mean, I hear you though. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and like the the whole disabled boy thing, like that was that was truly like a beacon of light in this sort of like 
like outrage and dunk on culture that um that i think was a, a very good example and like even whenever i saw that too like i was reading through some of the tweet replies to it and like people were like like there was somebody that said something like oh well why does it matter that he's in a wheelchair at all like why did that even have to be, have to be part of the story and then somebody replied back and they were like well, you know, it's important for disabled people to see themselves visible in the community. So, like, it's okay to highlight the fact that this person is in a wheelchair in the story, but don't make that, like, the focus of the story and don't make it don't make it sound like he's, like, strapped into the wheelchair and cannot escape and, you know, is going to, like, die there. Like, that's not, like, <laughs> yeah, that's totally, not the kind totally. of attention you want to draw to it. So there was, that's one of the rare cases, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I saw that and totally forgot about it, where it's, like, an actual discussion came of the situation and then you know the the author of the article or the editor or whoever like you know actually changed the headline for it so that was a a good example yeah so i hear what you're saying man i don't know that um that kind of thing is going to go away anytime soon so i don't know definitely not i don't know what to even do about that but Right. What well, I need to do is just stop looking at Twitter so much, honestly, is what, because like this is, I think this is a problem in the community, but it's also my problem where like I follow so many people on Twitter and I spend so much time just scrolling through Twitter that I get irritated at it. And the easy solution would be, hey, just don't look at Twitter that much. So like I, I own part of this problem on myself most, uh, most definitely, but I do think that, you know, outrage culture and dunk on <clears throat> culture is not. It's not as effective as people think it is, and I think a lot of people do it just so, like, they can be, like, like, oh, if I dunk on this person in a funny enough way, like, I can be celebrated for this, and I can be famous for this, you know, at the expense of somebody's bad take, but really they're just spreading that person's bad take even farther than it ever deserves to be spread. True, true. But at the same time, I think so many of us are, like, feel like we're alone or like we, we're not connected as well as we should be and we want to have this community and we want to like have a voice and it can be really tough to feel that way sometimes and you know social media is a really quick way to feel like you have a way to engage with people or at least to, to be heard in some small way so i can understand why people would want to like share those things i mean it's like there's so many so many things that you can't fight against so many things that you have no power against and even if it's not effectual doing a tweet maybe makes you feel like you did something or maybe makes you feel like you had some kind of an outlet for those feelings. So I get why some people do it. And I, you know, I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm totally guilty of that myself. Um, <laughs> trying to cut down, but I am also totally guilty of it. So I hear you. I hear you at the same time. I don't know, man, it's lonely to be a human out there. And maybe sometimes Duncan <laughs> is all you got. That's all you got, Corey. Oh my God. If Duncan is all you have, I would suggest, I don't know, doing any, getting a job, going to the gym. I don't know. Um, getting taking a pet, cooking classes or yeah. something. Man. <laughs> all, right, all right. What else is on your, what else is on your agenda this week, my friend? Um, I just wanted to talk about, this is short and I cannot believe I forgot to bring it up last week because I, every, okay. So every week when we do this thing, like I try to think of some banter topics and it never fails that like, like probably like the biggest like I could like win the lottery like the day after we record the podcast and then like by the time Monday rolls around I'm trying to think about what banter topics to talk about I'd be sitting and being like man what happened to me I just can't think of anything interesting over the past week that happened and this I feel like this happens all the time but wait 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 are you saying that you're rich because I I could use no. a couple bucks no no that did oh. not happen and no, okay. uh, I'm just all saying right, that like exciting things could happen and then by the time it's kind of like when you're like playing a board game or like playing a trivia game and like you know the answer but as soon as like you have to think about it like you your mind goes blank and you can't think of anything like that's totally totally totally. how i feel about banter so a couple weeks ago um 
I was sitting around doing nothing as uh, per my life, and I opened Instagram, and somebody commented, I had posted some pictures of my cats, or one of my cats on Instagram, uh, and somebody commented on it, and they were like, hey, I just saw this on BBC, and I was like, what? Like, And so I, I commented back, and I was like, what are you talking about? Uh, and so I went on to the BBC's website, and BBC, I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening to the show knows what it like is. Like, you're BBC talking about the like, British broadcasting, whatever, the, the the English TV channel, right? Yeah, like, probably, like, the biggest news entity, like, in the United Kingdom area. Um, so I go to BBC, and I'm like, okay, well, like, what? Like, maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe I can find something. Like, I don't, like, was it on TV? Was it on the internet? I don't know. So I go to BBC, Sure enough, they have an article in their, like, entertainment section or something, uh, and it's called... I actually still have it open on my phone because I'm such a dork. Um, It's called... Oh, what is it called? It's called, Is Bisexual Lighting a New Cinematic Phenomenon? And Bi- have we t- what? bisexual lighting? Have we talked about bisexual lighting I, on the show? I feel before? like you have mentioned it, but I got to be honest, <laughs> I don't remember what it is. I think that I'm pretty sure you've mentioned it at some point. Can you refresh me really quickly? I would love to. And odds are, somebody listening to the show won't know what it is. So let me just offer a refresher. Um, so bisexual lighting is a kind of newly defined. Um, lighting technique that's used in photos and movies it's been most uh dominantly shown in movies recently where the tones of whatever's going on are usually like kind of like a light blue and like a hot pink and some yeah, examples okay, this is yeah this is this okay you're kind of jogging my memory here yeah okay go on go on yeah so some some recent examples include like there's uh, like john wick i think john wick 2 had like a a gunfight where they were in a club or something and there's like pink and blue lights. Um, Atomic Blonde is a good example. There's a section where Charlize Theron's whole hotel room while she's in Berlin is like lit up like neon blue and neon pink. There's a section where she's in a, a nightclub and it's like blue and pink lit up. And like um, Blade Runner 2049 has a sequence where Ryan Gosling, like the background's blue behind him and there's like a hot pink hologram in front of him. So one of the things I've been exploring with my photography lately is bisexual lighting. And just as an FYI, there is a such thing as the bisexual pride flag. And it looks like it's kind of like three horizontal um, rows. The top and bottom ones are kind of thick. The middle one is a little bit thinner. The top one is hot pink. The middle one is like a grayish, like a kind of like a grayish lilac. And the bottom is blue. So that's why it's called bisexual lighting because... There is a bisexual flag, and it is those colors. Um, so wait a minute. You didn't coin this, did you, or did you? No, I did not coin this at all. Um, this has okay, been right. something that's been around for, like, maybe, like, a couple of years or has lately been brought into the light, um, the bisexual light, if you will, for the past couple of years. Uh, but it is a lighting technique that's been used for a while. I just don't think it had, had like, an actual name until maybe a couple of years ago. Um and uh, some, that's something that I've been exploring in photography lately, where I have multicolored lights in my studio, and sometimes I'll shine, like, a hot pink light on my subject's left side of the face and, like, a blue light on the right side of the face. And so I used bisexual lighting to light one of my cats in my studio to just take, like, some <laughs> silly pictures. So uh-huh. I have Samus on my photography stool in my studio, and, like, I literally just did it for fun in, like, 15 minutes. Like, it was, I wasn't trying to make, like, super serious photos. And so this whole BBC article, it starts out, um, and it talks about, like, in movies, and it has a picture from, like, Blade Runner and John Wick and Atomic Blonde and Logan. And then it talks about, like, TV shows, and there's an episode of 
uh, Black Mirror, where some of the stuff is bisexually lit. It talks about the flag. It talks about uh, Janelle Monae's new music video because um, it, there's a lot of like multicolored lighting going on in there. And then at the very, very, very tail end of the article, they have, it's literally the last thing in the article. They write, and I quote, while photographer Corey Motley uses glorious bisexual lighting, which is, I put in my Instagram post, to take some snaps of his cat. And it's like an embedded link of my Instagram post that has four pictures of my cat lit hot pink and hot blue in my studio and so, like, I'm not saying that, like, it didn't go viral or anything. Like, people didn't, like, flood in from all corners of the earth to, like, like my picture on Instagram. But it is now probably my most liked picture on Instagram at this point. And, and I was getting, like, you know, a couple of likes a day. And, like, somebody else commented on it and said that they, that they saw the post on BBC also. So I just thought that was, like, I mean, we're talking about, like, one of the biggest news entities, like maybe in the world. And for some stupid reason, I don't, I mean, they must've just searched for the hashtag on Instagram and found these dumb pictures of my cat. But I am now, I guess, a published photographer in BBC, kind of. <laughs> Famous bisexual photographer, Corey Motley. Well, unfortunately, I'm not. Oh, wait. But Oops. Yeah, I do. I do. It's use funny. It's techniques. funny that you got that tag because uh, ironic, but. Interesting how you keep popping up. See, there's something about your photos, dude, because I do think you are a great photographer. <laughs> Clearly, other people must think the same thing, because now, I mean, look at your fucking resume, dude. You got fucking Thrasher Magazine. You've got fucking the BB fucking C. You've got <laughs> National Geographic. I mean, you're like you're like on the cusp of big time, dude. Like, if you get a couple more naked dudes, throw your cat in there, get the lighting going, big fucking time. Millionaire. Famous. Oh my gosh, I wish. I had a woman who I, I don't know at all, but she follows me on Instagram and she like DM'd me yesterday and she goes, hey, do you only take photos of men? And I thought that was the funniest thing because like, obviously I, I'm perfectly capable of taking pictures of women, but like by happenstance, I don't really hang out with a lot of women recently in my life, seeing as like I'm around parkour dudes and like skateboarders all the time. And like she was talking about how she might be interested in scheduling a photo shoot with me. So I thought that was kind of funny because she was like, I don't know, under the impression that I only photograph dudes because like a quarter of my Instagram account is like hunky dudes. But um, I promise I can take pictures of women as well. Oh, it makes sense. I mean, if someone was to glance at your work, I mean, like you I mean, I think it's probably more than I think you were underselling that percentage of hunky dudes in your timeline. <laughs> I think it's a much higher percentage than that. But uh, I can see why someone would would think that. But hey, at least she reached out. At least she asked. I mean, you got something set up with her? Uh, she, this is the kind of, the part that kind of scares me a little bit. She said that she might have pictures taken with me for her 18th birthday, which is exciting, but I, it's also kind of, I don't know. We, is that weird? I feel a little weird. When you feel like you're in a jailbait situation or something or what? Not, what well, not really because like she will be 18, but it was just weird that she like made it a point to be like, oh, I think I will, you know, I'm going to, it's, I, I turn 18 in October and I'm going to like, you know, I have some time to save up some money and I think I'll come see you for my birthday. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Wow. But... You were somebody's birthday wish. Wow. Uh, that's, a th that's a thing. Uh, I, I mean, mean like if... what, what is she thinking? I mean, is <laughs> does she have something in mind? I mean, maybe that's a normal thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't like pe people taking pictures of me and I probably wouldn't pick that for my birthday gift. But like, is she going to be like, is it like 
cheesecake photos? Is it just her just like, hey, I'm 18 now, hooray, or like, what What did she want? Like, that's interesting. I, we haven't discussed <clears throat> it yet. I mean, she's familiar with my, like, with my, I guess, like, portfolio, and she said that she really likes the work I do. Um, I am not under the impression in any way that she wants to do, like, birthday nudes or something, because, like, that's what I first thought of. I was like, oh, my God, she's going to, like, wait until she's legal, and then she's going to ask me to take, like, <laughs> those kinds of photos. Those I, photos. I'm not, I'm not under the impression that this is going to happen. Um, but, I mean, hey, I mean, if she's a paying client, I'll be happy to take whatever photos of her, like, you know, um, I want to say, like, doctor-patient confidentiality here, but I'm not a doctor, and my subjects are not patients, but... I mean, you know what I mean? Like, whatever whatever the subject wants, as long as it's within reason, and I feel like I can photograph it, um, like, I am A-okay with. But I just thought it was interesting that she, like, mentioned that she would, like, see me for her 18. Like, I don't know if she wants, like, like oh, I just turned 18 pictures done, or kind of like a, maybe, like, senior picture style or something. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, That would be know, rad maybe. if she showed up, like, in a cap and gown and shit. That would be awesome. I mean, if, hey, I mean, I'm not above, like, senior pictures. I can totally do that. So, um, yeah, I don't well, know. I, I guess we'll see when October rolls around. Well, keep us posted, man. I mean, and, of course, I think anybody who freelances has a certain responsibility to keep their business under wraps. I mean, I know. I mean, dude, like, I get, I know so much shit about so many things. I know so many secrets. <laughs> and I never share anything because that's what I get paid for. Um, so yeah, I would expect the same thing of your work. I wouldn't expect you to tell us all about things like that, but if there was something that was open or you could share, I would be interested to hear if this was a more public kind of situation where maybe she wouldn't care. Like what, like, what did she want? Like, is she going to be doing parkour in your studio? Like, is that what it was? Or anyway, <laughs> fill us in, fill us in when it comes around. I would be interested to hear about that. So, all right. Any, uh, any other bits there or should I, uh, unroll my stuff here? Uh, you are free <clears throat> to unroll your stuff. Unrolling my stuff. Okay, because it's really tightly wound right now. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> quick shout out to a book, which my wife picked up at Barnes & Noble. What is the name of that? John Oliver, that guy. You know who John Oliver is? Of course I know who John Oliver is. Are you a fan of his? I am a fan. Okay, so he has this, what is it, Last Week Tonight? Is that the name of the show? Yeah, he is somehow the only like comedy <clears throat> central comedian who has not like made a homophobic remark. So he's like one of the ones that I... It still sticks to you to this day. I often watch his segments on YouTube whenever they go live. Okay, yeah. So he does like this little news segment thing. My wife's a big fan. I'm a fan of him also, but I end up just not watching him because I just don't have time and, you know, whatever. But uh, apparently he had a book on his show a while ago that was called Marlon Bundo. Did, were you, did you see that or when he was kind of hyping that? I did. I watched the whole segment on it. A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo is what it's actually called. So that is the book that my wife went out and bought. Uh, so for people that don't know, just a real quick shout out, nothing deep dive on this, but it's about, I guess, apparently like piece of shit, uh, vice president Mike Pence put out some kind of book about a bunny that he has or something. And this is like, I guess what inspired it. Like it was about a day in the life of following vice president scumbag Mike Pence. If you, if you were a rabbit in the white house or something. And so John Oliver saw that. And for some reason decided he wanted to do his own take on that and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. That was just my vague understanding of it. Does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to get to the major <clears throat> detail that makes this unique though. Very soon. I will. So, uh, I don't know what's in Mike Pence's book and fuck Mike Pence anyway, but Marlon Bundo, the one that John Oliver put out was about the, uh, a little boy rabbit who, uh, ends up being gay and he meets another boy rabbit and they fall in love and get married. And, one particular guy of the barnyard where they live is like, boy, bunnies can't get married and that's not okay. 
And so it kind of like in a very, very simple childlike way talks about how do what you need to do to be happy. Don't listen to other people. And when they get to the marriage part, they actually do kind of um, talk about voting this guy out who was kind of like deciding things in the barnyard. Right. And they're like, yeah, fuck you, dude. You don't know anything. We want to be happy. Get out of our lives. And so they vote this guy out and then they vote somebody new in. And the new person says it's okay for boy bunnies to get married. And then they kind of hop off into the sunset uh, happily ever after. It's a really cute and really sweet book. It really puts things in terms that a child can understand. It's very friendly. It's not uh, overly political. It's not overly... um, I mean, it doesn't really have like this really, really heavy, heavy agenda. It just comes off like a really cute children's storybook about these two bunnies who fall in love and they just both happen to be boys. So it's like no big deal, you know, like they don't make this giant thing out of it, but they talk about diversity a little bit in the book and the pictures are really nice and well done. It's pretty short so you can read it with your kids easily. And if you're looking for a good way to introduce these topics uh, to your child in a very positive way, I think it's a really good book. It's just really cool. I mean, uh, just to, you know, to emphasize, it's not, it is not a John Oliver book for adults. It is, I guess, supported by John Oliver somehow, but it is written by somebody else. It is for kids. Like it is for, I don't know, like, six to 10 year olds or something like that. So it is, it is not a grown up book, but if you appreciate that sort of thing, or if you have kids in your life, definitely recommend that book. I thought it was very, very well done. Have you had a chance to uh, look through it, Corey? I have not looked through it. I also have not purchased it, but um, I don't know if, um, if any purchase, if it works or if you only purchase it from like Amazon or from the site that like the uh, like proprietary site where he sells it. But I, if I'm not mistaken, a percentage of the funds goes to the Trevor project as well. Do you know any more details about that? Um, that sounds familiar, but I was not with my wife when she bought the book and she didn't mention that. So I, I think I remember John Oliver saying something about that, but I do not have the details. I apologize. I'm sure that if you go to his website or something, there might be more information there. Or maybe if you check it out on Amazon, maybe it'll say on the books listing. I do not know, but that does sound correct to me. Gotcha. Okay. I just wasn't sure if like the proceeds only went if you bought it on Amazon or if it like still worked in bookstores or something like that. I do not know, unfortunately. So we can investigate that and I'm not going to investigate that. I'm not going to come back to it, (laughs) but people who are listening, please investigate that. And I'm actually not super familiar with the Trevor project. Can you, do you know what that is? What, what can tell us a little bit about it? Um, it is basically like a hotline for gay, like LGBTQ community. Um, if they're like, depressed or if they are like suicidal or if they're like basically just not doing well and it could be from like family issues or it could be just from um just from like general like they don't know quite how to navigate their lives after realizing that they're gay or coming out or whatnot it's just like a general sort of helpline for lgbtq and it's very youth based too like i don't think it's something you can call if you're like an adult um i'm not sure about that but it's very like youth focused lgbtq uh help Well, that sounds like a very worthwhile and very necessary project. So I hope that some of my purchase went to that. Uh, And if you are thinking about buying this book, check that out if you want to donate a couple bucks. Or I guess just donate a couple bucks if you want to anyway. So that sounds like a very worthwhile cause. Anyway, good book. Uh, Heads up, folks. Heads up, uh, parents as well. Next, I wanted to talk really briefly about a science fiction movie, which I feel like is not very well known these days, not very well celebrated, but God... Rewatched it and I felt like it should really be a classic. Have you ever seen or heard of Enemy Mine? I had not. I saw you tweet about it the other day and I had never even heard of it. So I See, don't know what this is. Man, I knew that was the case because I barely ever hear anybody ever talking about this. 
I saw it like a million times when I was a kid and I, it really stuck with me over the years. And for whatever reason, it just popped up back in my memory. And I was like, Oh, you know, I bet, I bet this would be a thing the family would enjoy. We should watch this. Um, I have not seen it like literally haven't seen this movie, like literally 25 years or so, at least 25 (laughs) years. So I'm like, we went to iTunes. It was on iTunes. This stars Dennis Quaid as a space human in the future. Like in this, in this movie, Humanity has taken to the stars. We are in the process of colonizing worlds. And along the way, we run into another alien species, which is kind of like a reptile species. They're called the Drac. And so we start, humans start to get into like these territorial wars with them. So Dennis Quaid is a fighter pilot who is defending one of the like, I don't know, colony ships. And he goes out on this skirmish against the Drac who are kind of launching a raid against their ship. Uh, he chases this one ship. They, they injure each other. Like they're shooting at each other. They both crash land onto like this hostile alien planet. And what ends up happening is Dennis Quaid's co-pilot dies. So Dennis Quaid is alone. The Drac is a solo pilot. And in the beginning, uh, they try to kill each other, but uh, circumstances happen. They both realize there is like literally nobody else on the planet except for like monsters and stuff. So like they're the only two kind of like intelligent beings on the planet. And they start off by having this really uneasy truce because they kind of realize they need each other to survive. And then they do not get rescued for like years and years and years. And so they end up becoming like really good friends. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. plays uh, the Drac who's, he has like this alien name, but they end up calling him Jerry just because it's easier for Dennis Quaid to pronounce. (laughs) So Jerry the alien and Dennis Quaid. uh, So they just, I mean, most of the movie is just these two guys, Dennis Quaid and the alien, just doing stuff like surviving, like building a shelter. Like they're trying to like, uh, find food like one of them gets attacked by a monster the other one comes to save them and it's just about like how they start off like really fucking hating each other and almost killing each other a couple of times and then by the time they've spent a couple of years together they become like the best of friends like they're like the only friend the other one has and they start to learn about each other's culture you know Dennis Quaid teaches him about some earth stuff the alien guy teaches him about like his alien philosophy and where he's from and they end up having like a lot in common, like even though they are from different planets and they totally look like they're not even the same species. The uh, the the drac guy, every drac is, I want to say unisexual. That's not right. The thing where like a an, an animal can breed by itself, like it has both male and female components to it. I'm I'm not a biologist. I sh- I'm sure somebody will correct me on this, uh, folks. If you're listening, please let me know. But the alien can reproduce on its own. Like it's it's not asexual and it's not monosexual. Whatever. Anyway, point being. <laughs> That despite all of these differences, they come to really learn and appreciate each other. And at one point, I mean, I don't want to spoil this because I think it's a really good movie. Although it's like 25 or 30 years old. So I guess it's probably past the spoiler embargo. <laughs> but stu- like, like stuff happens at the end that you might not expect. It just ends up being like a really, really, really like touching story. Like I think that um, Louis Gossett Jr.'s performance as the alien is fantastic. He gives a great performance. He is a totally believable alien. He seems not human at all, and yet you can really empathize with what he's doing. And even though he's got this different philosophy and he looks all scaly and pokey and weird and lizard-like, you totally, you just kind of feel for him. And like, you can see how Dennis Quaid would come around to like like him after a while and how they would become good friends. It is just like the best movie. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about it is it really straddles the movie-making styles. Um, it feels like half of it was from the 70s half of it from the 80s. So it is it is of that time, but very interesting in their use of like matte paintings, uh, the way they do some practical effects, uh, the way they do some makeup, I think is really interesting. So if you are a fan of that 
uh, era of movies. It's a very interesting one that falls almost perfectly between the 70s and 80s. Really interesting. And I really just think that the message is topical. Um, even though it was made so long ago, I think it was made in like 83 or something like that. Like we were watching it. I'm like, oh my God, like everything they're talking about in this movie totally applies to everything that's happening today. Like so easily could you map any other race onto either one of these people. Like it could be about any two, any two races getting along together or just learning about the other one or finding common ground. So uh, I love this movie. I think it is so good. And I think it is a tragedy that this is not more of a classic. I mean, I knew of this movie when I saw it when I was a kid. I know a few other old timers like me have seen it and really liked it as well, but I don't know anybody like who's younger who has heard of this or seen it. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like such a great movie. It does not deserve to be lost to the ages. So <laughs> I want to give a big shout out to Enemy Mine. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful film. So um, how does that sound to you, Corey? Anything interesting there? Would you see it? I mean, it sounds like a good movie, but I probably would not watch it, which as we discussed time and time again on the show is more of a reflection on how I use my time and not on the movies and shows that we talk about. Totally, totally. No, no worries there. I know your viewing habits. I figured that would be your answer, but I strongly recommend it to anybody listening. If you are a fan of, um, you know, earlier sci-fi or maybe sci-fi that you haven't seen or maybe sci-fi that takes a different spin because this is a very character-driven piece. Like, it's not about the special effects. It's not about, like, action. It's really about a human and an alien learning to get along. And that is not something that you see very often every day. Certainly not to the extent that this movie takes it. I think they did a fantastic job. I love this movie. It is so, so good. So big recommendation for Enemy Mine, available on iTunes, Amazon, all the download services. Um, also, I want to give just a really quick mention of Avengers Infinity War. I know, Corey, you said that you were planning to see it soon, so I will not spoil anything. But I went to see it with the family the day after it came out. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was very good. I mean, you know, putting my cards on the table, I am clearly a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. I, I'm i not ashamed to say that. I love all the movies. I think the MCU is the greatest thing since sliced bread. As a lifelong <laughs> comic book fan, I, I could not be more thrilled. Uh, I've seen all the films, love all the films. Some are better than others, but I love them all. And I think the whole interconnected universe thing is great. And I love, like, they're incorporating all these different characters and seeing each other and just like coming together as teams and stuff. I mean, it was so cool. Like it was so cool. Um, I was vaguely familiar with the infinity gauntlet storyline, which is, this is what this is based on. Um, so I knew a little bit about it. And I also knew that we are coming up on the 10th anniversary of the MCU's creation. And a lot of the actors who have been in these roles are saying, okay, I'm kind of done with being a superhero now because they want to move on to something else which is fine. I respect that. I mean, a lot of these guys put a lot of time in. So knowing that this was the end of the first 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, also knowing that a lot of these actors are ready to move on, also knowing that the writers and people at Marvel have said very many times that once this first 10 years end, they're planning on launching like a second 10 years, uh, but like with new characters and new storylines and new things happening. Um, I just found it really weird that with all of that information out there for public consumption that so many people were coming away from this movie, either a surprised or B confused. And I'm like, you know, like you can mention that hot take from the New Yorker, which was like, Oh my God, that was like the most, the person who wrote that review. I don't know if they were assigned that review or what's going on. They shouldn't have written that review. Also, 
the editor who assigned that and approved that article was a fucking dumb fuck. And speaking as a fellow <laughs> editor, I would have never approved that article in a million fucking years. So whatever. Fuck New Yorker anyway. Can't even read that. I think it's a fucking boring magazine. Um, so that was a really bad hot take. I'm also seeing a lot of people who are complaining about like lack of character development, lack of backstory. And you kind of alluded to this already. It's like, I'm sorry, folks. We've had literally 10 years and 18 <laughs> different films leading up to this point. And they even do go into some backstory in this film. Not not about every single character, but they, they give backstory about the main bad guy and about what's going on. But it's like, I'm sorry. You must be living like literally in a cave or living like in some kind of underwater society not to have picked up on the MCU over the last fucking decade. Like literally 18 films. If you don't know that these are connected films, if you haven't heard of these films, if you haven't even seen one and picked up on the fact that they connect with each other, where have you been? Like, how are you surprised that these movies connect, that there would be backstory that you need to pick up on in these other films? And I don't think it was any surprise that they announced the Infinity War would be a two-part movie. They said that many, 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 many times. So I guess I'm just really surprised by how many people are shocked at the content of this movie, which I will not spoil here, and also shocked that, like, they didn't have all this backstory. Like, it's, it blows me away that people would walk into this movie going, oh, they didn't explain anything and what was going on. I was confused. Dude, 18 movies, 10 years. Where, what? <laughs> How? I mean, that's like saying that you pick up like, you know, you pick up Moby Dick. You start reading it on page 742 and you're wondering what's going on. Well, there's like 741 pages you didn't read. Or like if you're watching, I mean, like you're watching Lord of the Rings. You come in like when they're storming, uh, you know, Sauron's castle. What, what's this castle? What are they doing? Well, you missed three fucking movies before this. Like, why would you come in on the tail end? It makes no sense. And people who complain about that are fucking morons. So, I mean, I'm not going to go tweet and dunk on these guys. Uh, I don't think I did this time around. But, like, wow, it really blows me away that anybody can have that kind of a take. It's so profoundly ignorant, willfully ignorant. I just couldn't even. I can't even. I just can't even, Corey. So putting that aside, putting that aside, I thought the movie was fucking great. Special effects were great. Loved seeing all the characters come together. Action was awesome. I mean, everything about it was so cool. Like, it was exactly what I would have wanted out of a movie like this. I came away very stoked, very um, pumped. Really looking forward to the finale and part two, which I believe is coming in May of next year, 2019. So I won't say anything else unless you have questions. Uh, but when you see it, I would very much like to uh, deep dive this with you and we could spoil some of this stuff. Indeed. I'm planning on seeing it. I don't know. Um, I feel like Patrick might have bought... He like <clears throat> texted me yesterday and asked me about seeing it this weekend, but I'm going to be in Baton Rouge all weekend to like photograph parkour because having a big jam there. So I don't know if he came to the conclusion that he would just buy tickets and go see it with his work friend without me or if he like wanted to get tickets on Friday. I need to like touch base with him because I'm definitely... Although I'm not, like, I, I can enjoy a superhero movie, but I'm not, like, as entrenched in the MCU as you are, which we've covered several times on the show. Um, I definitely want to see this. You know, I'm not, uh, like, I saw the first Avengers, and I thought it was fine. I did not see the second one. Um, but I'm definitely very game to see this one, especially fresh off seeing, like, Black Panther and seeing, um, like, Spider-Man last year. Um, I want, like, I'm not super, like... I guess what's the word I'm looking for, like invested in all of the Marvel heroes. But I, I mean, I feel like I should do my due diligence to see this film. Well, somebody had asked me what films were necessary to see before seeing this one. I mean, 
Of course, the ideal answer is all of them, duh, because, I mean, it's like the whole thing. But, of course, you know, that's like 18 movies. That's a lot. That's a big commitment. So if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming, if you've seen Black Panther, and if you've seen at least one of the Avengers movies, I think you're probably fine. And, I mean, of course, there's going to be stuff here that maybe will not land with you because some of it ties back to some earlier stuff. Um, And pretty much a lot of the threads that they've laid down over the last 10 years kind of pay off here. Uh, But, I mean, just go into it knowing that this is part one of a two-part, you know, it's a the fuck like a pair, a pair of movies i was gonna say like a duology that's not right i'm making i'm making up words here folks please excuse me uh, <laughs> but yeah just go into it knowing this is part one of a part two and that also this is the culmination of 10 years of films and you'll be fine i mean i knew and you know that you're a smart guy so anyway real good stuff i really had a great time um i don't know how sensitive you are to spoilers because i people are already starting to spoil the shit out of this movie i mean to me i don't think there's really a lot to spoil but other people clearly have different feelings um but you know your mileage may vary. Just know that there are people really like actively spoiling this in a big way. So maybe go see it sooner rather than later. Yeah, I will try to. Um, the interesting thing for me is like when people, cause obviously like I don't want to be spoiled on anything, even though I'm not super invested. Like I don't want to be spoiled on this, but I keep seeing this, this like argument come up on Twitter where people are like, Oh, well, Basically, everything that happens in this movie was already published in a comic, like, 20 years ago. And, like, okay, that's fair. Like, it's kind of like a reading the book before seeing the movie kind of thing. But, like, I I, I mean, I wish I had a stat on, like, how many people see the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies based on how many people are familiar with the comics. Because, obviously, their comic book movies are going to have a lot of comic fans. But, like, I think it's, like, slightly unreasonable to be, like oh, well, this storyline was in comic print 20 years ago, so, like, why is everybody so mad that it's getting spoiled? Because, like, not everybody is familiar with the comics. No, I totally agree. I think that is a bullshit um, argument. I mean, yeah, it's true that this stuff is published, but, like, I mean, you can say that about any movie based on a property or, you know, like Game of Thrones. Like, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I know a lot of people have read the books or and then... You know, they were like talking about all this stuff and they're like, what, what? The book's been out forever. Yeah, but not everybody read the books. I mean, a lot of people are going to be coming to this fresh. I mean, I'm sure that there is a very large percentage of Marvel Cinematic Universe fans who have never read any of these comics. They just like the movies. And that's totally fine. If you are a fan because you just liked Iron Man, or you've been watching the movies since then, or you like any of the different heroes and you don't actually read the books, that's fine. Totally fine. And I think those people have every right to not be spoiled. And anybody who spoils anything for anybody anyway is an automatic fucking douche. So all you have to do is not say anything. And people who go out of their way to spoil for the people are just assholes. So I agree (laughs) that it's it's totally reasonable to not want to be spoiled. Yeah, Infinity Gauntlet's been out for 20 years or whatever. Not everybody's read it. And don't act like that's a required thing for being an adult these days. Like a ton of people have not read that. Same thing with like Handmaid's Tale. A lot of people have never read that book. Uh, Same thing for Game of Thrones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like don't. Don't fucking spoil things for people just because, like, that material exists in a different format and the annals of history. So, yeah, don't spoil anything for anybody. Don't be a douchebag. Uh, that's all. I, thank you. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that's all I got, man. You got anything else to, to bring up in the banter? I don't think so. All right, dude. Let's wrap this up and let's talk about some games, eh? Let's talk about some games, motherfucker. 